This is Ian McElhinney here. I'm an actor from Northern Ireland. I play Sebastian Selmy in Game of Thrones. I'm currently playing Val L in Krypton. If you watch Dairy Girls, I'm Granddad Joe. I've had a wonderful time talking to Neil before Pod right now at the Edinburgh Comic Con. Neil before Blog presents Neil before Pod. you've all been waiting for it's the Neil Before Pod Ms. Marvel podcast the most recent Disney Plus show featuring a Marvel character I'm your host Craig and we're here to talk about this joining me is longtime contributor not first time caller long time caller as well it's Kat hello hello I was trying to come up with some kind of Ms. Marvel connection to give you but I couldn't come up with one <laughs> that's okay <laughs> hello great to be back Always great to have you. Our next guest is someone brand new to the podcast and someone who may have a perspective that's more relevant than any of us. It's Issa. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about Miss Marvel. Excited to have you. You've never been here before, so why not spend a little bit of time plugging your stuff, plugging yourself, tell the listeners who you are and why they should listen to you or watch you or whatever you want. Hi, I'm Issa. I am a cosplayer and designer and TTRPG streamer and sometimes podcaster and content creator as well. One of my cosplays I guess I'm most well known for maybe is Miss Marvel, the comic version. Cosplayed her for a few years now and I also create YouTube videos doing cosplay and crafting tutorials and stuff and I've done two videos relating to Miss Marvel cosplay things. I did one video about making her comic book mask and then recently did another video making the mask from the show. So if you want wanted to see any cool cosplay Miss Marvel stuff, you could go check that out. My YouTube is Evil Clever Dog. I'm also mixed Pakistani, so my love for the character, I've followed the character since her comics first came out, and my love for her is not only because I think she's a great character, but also because I connect with the character and the story on a cultural and more close emotional level. So I'm always down for talking about Miss Marvel, basically. Yeah, we have an expert for the first time ever, perhaps. <laughs> expert? I don't know about that. <laughs> Do we have experts before? I don't know. We could talk about it. Whenever Andrew's on, he's an expert in pretty much everything. So let's go with that. But yes, definitely check out those YouTube videos. The channel will be linked in the show notes. So you can choose whatever you want. Well, well thank you. <laughs> all your socials that I can find will be in the show notes as well. So there's all that. Definitely watch that mass creation video. If you want to see someone make something that looks so complicated that will make you think, there is no way I could ever hope to even attempt this. Watch that video. <laughs> Well, I hope I explain it in a way that would mean that people could make it, hopefully. <laughs> I'm talking about me. There's no way I could ever attempt it. <laughs> I can't even use a screwdriver, so that's <laughs> a problem. I need an adult for things like that. But definitely check that out. It's really good, really professional stuff. And you were at the premiere in London for this show, weren't you? Might as well just fully plug yourself. Oh my God, yeah. I can't believe I didn't mention that. I was invited to attend the premiere in London for the show with a group of cosplayers. As one of the Miss Marvel cosplayers, we had four of us cosplaying as Miss Marvel, a few different versions. So I got to see the first two episodes, I think it was two or three weeks ahead of them actually coming out. Got to walk the, uh, they called it the Cosmic Car 
carpet rather than the red <laughs> carpet. It was really sweet. And the event itself was really cool. Lots of really colorful decor and sets to take pictures in. And Iman Vellani and Rish Shah were both there. We got to very briefly meet them and take some photos with them. Side note, both of them were just so lovely and so excited to see all the cosplayers. It was really nice. <laughs> really cool experience. I... Felt really lucky to be able to go after having followed the character in the comics since it was first announced and the first comics coming out in, was it 2014? And then feeling like my cosplay got recognized enough that I was then invited to go and attend the premiere. It felt like a really nice full circle moment. It was really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And you got to see the first two episodes on a cinema screen, presumably. Yeah, yeah, I did. Without your email address watermarked very broadly on the (laughs) middle of the screen like I did. Oh yeah, Yeah. look at me with my advanced screener access. It's got my name on it. It's inconvenient. (laughs) It slightly blocks the image. Woe is me. Why do they do that? You can't admire the cinematography properly when there's a big watermark on the screen. Yeah, it's this whole thing. You have to sign your life away. And if anybody in your household even peers upon the screen, Disney will take you out with a sniper. That's the kind of stuff you have to agree to. It's pretty terrifying. (laughs) But anyway, enough about screeners and cinema screens and whatever. I would love to have seen it in a cinema screen, but it wasn't to be. But anyway, let's talk about the show. Here at Neil Before Pod, since you've never been here before, we always start with a bit of a spoiler-free roundup of what we thought of the series. Just in case people haven't seen it and they want to hear what we thought about it before they go and watch the show. I don't know that such a listener exists, but law of averages <laughs> suggests that they should or do. So why don't you start with your spoiler-free thoughts on the series as a whole, all six episodes of it. Okay. Trying to be as spoiler-free as possible, which I'm not usually good at. I have critiques of this show, of how it was written and how it was directed and some structural stuff, but I do have a lot of love for the show as well. I feel very closely connected with it for obvious reasons. And I do think that even outside of that, the show has a lot of merits to it. I think there is a lot of great humor and a lot of great character work with Kamala. I think its strongest aspects overall are Kamala, her characterization and her relationships with her friends, her family, her community and her culture. Whenever the show focuses on that, it is absolutely at its strongest and it sings. And I also really love a lot of the visual aspects of the show and the music choices they've made with the show. It feels like one of the very few Marvel properties that has been allowed to have its own visual and musical style that's very unique. Particularly in the first two episodes, and I feel like it kind of fell off a little bit, but the stuff with Kamala's own inner world and inner imagination and that being visualized on screen was so powerful and it worked really well for the character. So that stuff I think all works like so well and is really strong. Unfortunately, I do have some mixed feelings about some other stuff that happens, but I feel like that should maybe be more safe for the spoilery section. But basically I think that some of the overarching marvel stuff isn't as strong, but I still think the show is absolutely worth everyone's time for all the other stuff. Okay. Kat, what were your spoiler-free thinkings on this TV show? I would say mine echo is almost to a T. I too have criticisms. I felt like in part the pacing was amazing and much better than a lot of the other Marvel shows we've seen so far. And then yet there were still some bits, like Isa said, the marvel bits, the bits that make this a superhero thing that kind of felt a little shoehorned in, a little not out of place, but kind of in the way of what made the show actually interesting and different and unique and fun. It was like, oh, here's some superhero stuff and some antagonists because I guess you have to have action scenes. That wasn't really the strength of the show for me. There were some issues with the sound mix for me in the first couple of episodes. The dialogue 
was almost less loud than the music, and so I struggled to hear anything that anyone was saying. And it fixed itself after episode three, but the first couple of episodes I was really genuinely struggling to hear anything. And I can't say that I had a lot of fun with that. And it's not just me, I tend to have auditory processing things where sometimes I can have trouble discerning what people say, but my fiancé said the same. And my cat also has opinions. <laughs> <laughs> My fiancé said the same, so I know I'm not alone. But other than that, yes, the visuals are incredible. The art style of Kamala's drawings kind of seeping into everything else, and the teenager communication with texts and emojis and things mm. being really interestingly visualized on screen I thought was great. And the kids feel like kids in a very lived-in real way. I think the cultural stuff, everything with the Pakistani culture in Jersey, but then also the stuff that's kind of more direct it was super interesting i hesitate to reveal some things because of spoilers i guess we'll dive into it but i'll just say that some of the history stuff that makes it into this show is first of all vital second of all stuff that especially americans but generally people won't know this stuff mm -hmm. and I thought it was crucial to get those stories and to understand the heart of, first of all, Kamala, but also just the show in general. The crux is superhero powers through generational love. And I love that. It's great. It really touched me on a deep personal level. I just really loved seeing that stuff. And the visual effects were better than expected for a TV show. I don't know, Marvel has had its ups and downs with its shows thus far in terms of just how to depict certain things and how much money to throw at the visual effects and stuff, but I thought it was done very, very well. As a last note, Kamala's brother is the best. <laughs> yes, I love <laughs> him. <laughs> That's all I'll say, spoiler free. I don't really have much to add. I didn't find the sound mix issue that you did. I don't recall having any issues hearing what was going on. Just my hearing, I suppose. I love the show broadly. I had some issues with it. There are some things we'll talk about that I think should have been left until season two, with season one being about something more specific. But again, we'll get into that. The characters were great. Kamala especially. I think they did a great job with her. I've read the earlier Kamala Khan comics I haven't read comics in quite a few years, so I dropped off at some point. But I read enough to get beyond the point where she is now, but where she was earlier in her development. It captured the vibe of that for me, and I loved what it was teaching me about the culture behind her, because I didn't really know an awful lot about it, and I knew that I was going to be ignorant to it going in, because... They're just some things, if you don't know them, you don't know them. And it's good that things come out and teach me things. Although it did make me wonder, is this accurate? Which is something we'll definitely talk about. But it is a question that you sometimes have. Is it being done sensitively? Is it being done respectfully, etc., etc.? So it'll be interesting to get some insight into that through this. I haven't seen much in the way of, this is wrong, it's garbage, it's racist or whatever. So it seems like they did a reasonable job, but don't tell me yet, we'll get to it. <laughs> Certainly, I didn't feel like it was being disrespectful when I was watching it, and I was learning things that I didn't know about before, and I was just seeing how things worked and all that good stuff. So yeah, I love the show. And I really look forward to seeing the character again, really look forward to hopefully they do a season two. They surely have to. In fact, I think they should make Kamala a big part of the MCU from now on, because... She's certainly positioned to be one of those really central characters. And I think she could be. And I think Aman Villani's a real find as well. I can't believe this is her mm -hmm. first acting gig. It's unreal how good she is in this show. So that's my spoiler-free thoughts. So shall we descend into the spoiler realm? Let's do it. And begin! Okay, we've fractured reality and we're now in the spoiler realm. So we can say whatever we want. How amazing is that? 
let's start with Kamala, the lead character, and we'll just start with how she begins. So she opens up as being a awkward high school teenager. That's your not trope, but that's your starting point. That's your setup. She's at high school and she's awkward. So, Essa, why don't you start us off with, what did you think of the way Kamala was introduced to us in the show with her little YouTube channel that has like two subscribers and... Oh my God, so cute. ...however many views. <laughs> <laughs> like the only people who comment are Bruno and Nakio. Oh, this is adorable. Like I said in the spoiler-free section, I think... Kamala and her characterization and Iman Vellani's performance. I mean, it had to be the strongest aspect of the show and it absolutely is. I was just continuously impressed with Iman Vellani for such a young actor in their first major role. I was just like, wow, you have a skill and a talent here. It's not just surface level, this performance at all. My watching of the show was seeing the first two episodes and then waiting two weeks and then having to wait another two weeks before I saw an episode I hadn't seen. So I saw the first two episodes many times. <laughs> I just love those introductory episodes so much. I think they're really, really strong. It's a really good introduction to Kamala. And I loved introducing her as a YouTuber and a cosplayer and a fan. Obviously, as a cosplayer, I very much enjoyed that the first episode sort of revolved around the main jeopardy was around a cosplay contest, which I don't think I've ever seen in a TV show before, or at least not in a way that's loving. Usually if it is there, it's to take the piss out of cosplay. So that stuff I loved and I love her relationship with Bruno and the sort of intricacies of Kamala's inner life and inner imagination being shown on screen, her being depicted as the kid who gets caught doodling in class. Hello, that was me. The kid who's just fantasizing about their cosplay and can't focus on anything else. Hi, that was me as well. And then even the other stuff like showing her feeling insecure about her cosplay, looking at herself in the mirror, wearing it and tugging at the leggings and stuff like that, because I've definitely felt that insecurity as well. It all feels very real and very relatable. Obviously on a cultural ethnic level for me, definitely, but I think it applies to pretty much anyone. Anyone can relate to stuff like that on some level. And the stuff with her parents are definitely found very compelling and very accurate and very true to the character, true to experiences I've had in my life. I know that a lot of people were very, shall we say, cruel about Muniba, her mother, and I think a lot of people just didn't really understand that the show was depicting a relationship between a mother and a daughter that isn't white-centric. I found her relationship with her mother continuously very, very compelling. From what we see from the first episode to how it rounds out in the final episode, I found to be a very compelling relationship arc between the two of them. But you asked me to talk about Kamala and I'm getting off track. A lot of what was done in those first two episodes echoed who Kamala is in the comics very, very well. Obviously they made some changes and some adaptations, some bigger than others, some more successful than others, but I think the adaptations that were made to Kamala as a character in terms of what she does in the comics, she writes fan fiction and in the show she makes YouTube videos with these cool little animated drawings that she's done. I think all of that translates super well. I felt like it brought it into the moving image medium very, very well having her go on stage in a cosplay contest and having her make YouTube videos to show her fandom for the Avengers, I think works really well in a TV show in a way that maybe writing fanfic wouldn't have been able to translate as well on screen. So I think it's a fantastic introduction to the character, those first two episodes in particular, her relationship with her family, her relationship with Bruno, her relationship with her love for the Avengers and the superheroes and the slightly more hard to watch things like her insecurities about her body and her appearance and stuff like that also all portrayed really well and also played really well by Aman Vellani. Yeah, in summarising the end battle from Endgame, using paper cutouts and stuff was great. And I'll get on to talk about how she might have known 
the details of that battle because it's one of those things, you know this stuff because who was there but it is actually explained almost in the show itself you do have to dig outside the mm. show a little bit but it is in there well, I'll find some way to talk about that later but yeah I love that as an introduction because it sets her up as a fan of this stuff and it's the first character we've had in the MCU who's a fan of other superheroes in this way. You had it with Kate Bishop, but it was in a different way. And then Peter Parker, he's kind of into the Avengers as well, but again, not in the same way. So this is, I'm completely distanced from this world. I've never seen a superhero up close. It's just, I really like them. And the idea that you've got fans of these characters that exist in a world where those characters exist, is just a really compelling idea. And it's a real testament to the success of the MCU as well, that we're 12, 13 years in or whatever it is, and suddenly you have a character that loves all these characters it's almost celebrating its own existence in that way by her being the fangirl of them and yeah like you were saying there are things that are universally relatable i remember being at high school and getting told you should probably decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life now you're 17 off you go i don't know I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I don't feel grown up yet. I'm 34 and I still don't feel like an adult. And also there's that whole thing of downplaying Kamala's artistic endeavors and the doodling and all of that. Those are actually marketable skills. And instead of any of the teachers or her parents or anybody tapping into that and being like, hey, maybe you want to look into illustration or animation or any of these things. Instead, they're just like, you're wasting away your time and none of what you enjoy doing is valuable. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Isa's entire everything <laughs> has come from love of fandom. That's how Isa and I met was through cosplay and mm -hmm. you do a lot of this stuff professionally now and it's awesome and it's valid and I didn't see anybody support that side of Kamala and that was a bit disappointing. Yeah, that's very much an experience I can relate to from school as well though. Anybody that had any creative ambitions that was this will get you anywhere in life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go and get a real job and do this in your spare time? Well, what is a real job? Sitting in an office, bored to tears five days a week? Because I do that and that's not fulfilling. But that's the kind of ignorant stuff you do get from adults that have probably given up on life. And that's certainly the impression you get from the guidance counsellor, I think the character is. I'm a failure, so everyone else has got to be a failure too. That kind of attitude. <laughs> yeah, it also, I think, reflected the generational divide really well. It happens with every generation ever in existence. The parents don't fully understand or know how to engage with the things that the kids are into because it's different from when they were kids. <laughs> yeah. And that's just what happens. And given that the story then goes down the route of exploring the generational trauma from the partition and from being immigrants, as well as how those characters then reconnect and somewhat repair those things. I felt like it was a fitting start that in the end, I feel like does get reconciled on a certain level in quite a satisfying way, especially between Kamala and her mother and her father as well. If anything, it's representing the start state of that generational divide of them just not understanding her on multiple levels. Yeah, and then there's the extra pressures that come in, such as you'll never find a husband behaving like that or doing this. Yeah. <laughs> That's a specific cultural thing that I don't fully understand, but I do understand the idea of parental expectation. You need to start paying yeah, your yeah. own way at some point. It's almost the same thing in a way you can't sit there doodling because you need to make money you need to support yourself <laughs> that kind of stuff it's all very relatable in that sense and i do find that fascinating but yeah she's in a completely different headspace her focus is on going to this convention and getting there and we've talked a lot about on previous podcasts about large-scale stakes in the mcu and the way that they depict them it's oh look the universe is ending or the world's going to end if we don't stop this thing or whatever else whereas the first episode the stakes were she wants to go to a convention and her parents won't let her 
I yeah, felt the tension of that <laughs> throughout. I was like, yeah. oh God, I hope she makes it. And when she lost her bike getting on the bus, I was like, oh man, that's a drawback. She's not getting that back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She's not getting that bike back. That bike is gone. It's been sold to someone else off like the back of a car somewhere. <laughs> it's gone. One touch I really loved talking about Kamala's imagination and the cosplay and stuff was she has her fantasy version of how her and Bruno are going to get to the convention. And in the <laughs> fantasy version of that story, she's wearing the movie accurate Captain Marvel costume. And then you see her in her real cosplay in the actual version of events. And I just love those little touches. The directors of that first episode, I think they actually said we were very inspired by stuff like Scott Pilgrim movies with very strong visual styles based on comic books and video games. And you definitely saw that shine through. And it works really, really well for Kamala. Even her fantasy of what it's going to be like to win the cosplay contest and stuff like that. I just loved every minute of it. Because yeah, that's the quintessential daydreaming artistic teenager. That stuff was so good. Oh, and her drawing on the blackboard and the animation sort of coming to life. And when her and Bruno are cycling down the street and they're talking about cosplay ideas and you see graffiti versions of the cosplay ideas on the buildings behind them. That's such a good way to not only tie it to her imagination, but also to the setting, to New Jersey, which I thought was fantastic. But yeah, I do want to mention some aspects of the cultural representation stuff. I feel like in the comics, they were a bit more willing to go there with stuff like the racism that Kamala and Nakia experience and stuff like that. And it felt like they maybe weren't as willing to go there as fully in the show, whether that's like, well, kids need to be able to watch this or whether it's, I don't know, for whatever reason, it's the MCU and we're not as willing to be as staunch with our political messages kind of thing. I did notice that in particular, the first issue of the comic, you literally see Kamala and Nakia experience a series of microaggressions and racist behavior from Zoe and Josh within the first page or first couple of pages. And that is present in the show. It's to a lessened extent, you do see some experiences which I definitely have had, like people mispronouncing Kamala's name very pointedly and the back and forth with the parents and stuff like that. It's definitely present, but it takes the teeth out of some characters like Zoe, for example, which I'm sure we'll come to later. Maybe in a show of six episodes, maybe they felt they didn't have time to develop all of that stuff in the way that they did in the comics. But I do think it's slightly a shame that we don't see the full breadth of that experience. I can also understand maybe a different perspective of people don't necessarily want to have to watch characters of color experience racism all the time, but it is present in the comics. And I think it's very well handled in the comics as well. So you still do get those little moments like her being handed the alcohol and being lied to and told it's not alcohol. And then it is in the second episode, for example, but it does just feel a little bit like the teeth have been taken out. Yeah. With Falcon and Winter Soldier, they really went for it in terms of portraying racism whereas in this they didn't as much and i wonder if it's to do with your target audience we don't want to freak out young girls that this is aimed at or whatever in quite the same way but i think in terms of the setup of the show as well kamala and nakia were a little bit in a bubble in a way a lot of what you saw was them interacting with their cultural background so they were kind of surrounded by it and then you had obviously the people at school that didn't belong to it but yeah they didn't seem to bother them that much and we'll talk about zoe more in depth in a mm. bit but she more seemed to just not notice they exist rather than resent them in any way which i found to be very real in a different way yeah yeah it felt a bit more she's a bit of a vapid tiktok star rather than she is someone who starts out as quite racist and has to learn and grow and becomes a better person 
because of her interactions with Kamalia and Nakia, which is what it is in the comics. Like you say, maybe they didn't want to freak out their target audience. I personally think kids can absolutely learn about that stuff. And in fact, they have a whole episode about the partition. So clearly they weren't afraid of showing stuff like that. I wonder if maybe there was an element of, well, we can't show white people being too mean to the people (laughs) of color because then we'll alienate our white audience. And certainly with Nakia's character in particular, there are some shifts where her focus has become more about tackling issues from within the community and there's some elements of her tackling issues of racism from outside the community with damage control, but the focus seems to have been shifted slightly. Whereas in the comics, there are definitely storylines about Kamala and Nakia dealing with racism from outside their community and how they deal with that very pointedly. And yeah, I wonder if maybe there was just a little element of, oh, we don't want to upset white people too much because we already know they're going to get mad about this show. <laughs> You've already upset them by that point, though, by making the show. So exactly. Those kinds of yeah, people are so watching it anyway, so whatever, just go for it. Yeah. Everyone else, I can take it. I understand. <laughs> I understand <laughs> that some people are just horrible to people of a different race and colour. That's unfortunately a fact of life that everybody encounters at some point whether it be from the outside looking in or being on the inside receiving it so yeah just go for it and i think most of the intolerance did come from damage control from diva in particular yeah there's a bit of a good cop bad cop going on there we'll talk about that later (laughs) i don't even know that the other guy was that much of a good cop to start with Mm. meh cop and really (laughs) shit cop who was <laughs> bad at her job just straight up oh yeah yeah her job. i think clearly was more worried about reputation than anything else yeah absolutely but back on the zoe thing i wonder if part of that less than intentional though we can't have a white person be racist but i wonder if some of that was modernizing because the comics while they're not that old to start with. Some of them, especially the original run, play into an older view of Pakistani people and of Muslim people in the US. And a lot of that has shifted in the last few years and in the last few decades. So it's less about having the white classmate be explicitly racist and more that she probably just doesn't even care, which is like Craig said, kind of realistic in its own way, and perhaps a little more in line with current high schoolers. I don't doubt that there's overtly racist white kids, but for someone who's growing up in Jersey with such a multicultural, like we see their classroom and it's definitely a very mixed group. Would they be so nasty now? I don't know. I'm sure some would but would everybody? Yeah, I get what you mean. I think it's more the willingness to show how white people can be thoughtlessly racist, even if they think they're being nice, which is kind of how Zoe came across in the comics. And it's also very common. In fact, I would say personally that I think that is the most common type of racism that I personally have experienced rather than overt slurs being hurled around and stuff like that. It's more about the subtle things and the unthinking things. And yeah, there's just a slight lack of that. Yeah, they could have done better with that for sure. Yeah, could have dealt with it a bit better. I talked about it in my reviews, but I actually think Zoe was quite an unsung character that could have done an awful lot with because they had all the ingredients there to turn her into something interesting. She does have an arc, but you see the start of the arc and then the end of the arc and you don't really see the bit in between. Mm. It's clearly there and it's clearly something she learned. She starts off with, like I said, just not noticing that Kamala and Nakia really exist. She's too concerned with herself and her own popularity and stuff like that. She has a near-death experience. It's an excuse for her to throw a party. It's all about her. So that kind of stuff. Yeah, that I thought was quite funny, actually. (laughs) 
it's kind of a diluted Mean Girls trope, isn't it? Diluted version of that film or characters yeah, in that definitely. film, I guess. That was the vibe I was getting. And it would have been so easy just to turn her into the Rachel McAdams character in that film. It would have been so easy just to characterize yeah. her in that way, but they didn't. They made her a bit more, not nuanced, but there was a bit more to her than that. And then at the end, it's yeah. the... I'm at school during a basically terrorist attack, <laughs> almost certainly a school under siege from the government, actually, weirdly, but it's just one of those things. And she's like, yeah, I spent time in the gym filming my TikToks because of the lighting. Okay. <laughs> so you're here apparently on a Saturday night because that's where you are. <laughs> but then using her platform to get the word out and then her acknowledging that she can actually be an ally by the end of it was quite an interesting, like I say, end point for an arc you didn't see the middle point of. Yeah, that feels like a bit of a pattern with some of the characters in the show. One of my personal issues with the show is that I feel like either the show should have been more episodes for the first season to fit in what was a lot of story that they seem to be trying to cram in there, or some things should have been saved for season two, because we have this character, Kamala, who is essentially a local hero to New Jersey, and both in the comics and by the end of the show, is someone who is beloved by her community, is out on the streets trying to protect people from her community. And her being a homegrown hero in New Jersey feels like it should be the natural focus for season one of a Miss Marvel show. And unfortunately, the show kind of yanks her away from that to deal with a big world-ending threat and takes her all the way to Karachi. And I'm very reticent to say this because I think that the portrayal of Karachi is so valuable and so important as well as the portrayal of the partition. Like Kat said in our intro segment, it's something that people just don't know about. In fact, in the UK, I would say there is an active effort to make sure that people don't understand what the English did in India. Yep. And it's something that should be explored. And I think that the show's portrayal of Karachi, Pakistan, and the partition goes a long way to fight against or undo a lot of stereotypes about that part of the world and media. And it's so valuable. But I felt like there weren't enough episodes dedicated to how important it actually was, unfortunately, because it felt like the show was trying to tell two different stories at the same time. And I wondered whether saving the Karachi stuff for season two might have meant both that we then get more of a large focus on Kamala as this New Jersey hero in season one, and then she graduates to dealing with bigger things in season two, and we move to Pakistan and we learn more about the history of the partition as well as Kamala's family and how she connects to this wider world. It felt like they were made to shove a lot of story into six episodes where maybe if there were 10 episodes, they could have done five in New Jersey and five in Karachi, or maybe things would have been better off with a season one and a season two focusing on each of those places. Because in the comics, so much of the strength of Kamala as a character comes from her relationship to her community, not only her Muslim community, but also just the community of New Jersey in general. And you got that so strongly in the first two episodes, particularly how the first person she saves is Zoe, which is still there in the show and I think is still really important. The first person she saves is an ignorant white girl who's rude to her or racist to her, depending on whether it's the show or the comics. And then in episode two, she saves a boy from her local Muslim community on Eid, which I thought was really powerful. And you see this beginning of her arc where she's becoming this homegrown hero, and then it all gets yanked away and into Karachi very quickly. And similarly, I felt like a few of the secondary characters like Nakia, Zoe, Amir, Taisha. I mean, I don't know if I would say that Amir and Taisha necessarily have arcs, but you see the beginning of characterizations for them. And then they get left behind for a few episodes. And then we snap back to them suddenly in the last episode and we see development has happened, but I felt like I wanted to see more of all these characters because as well as Jersey being 
important to Kamala's character. I think her supporting cast has always been very important to her. And it felt like Bruno got a lot more focus than Nakia, which was slightly unfortunate. And then Amir and Taisha, considering how amazing they both are, didn't get nearly enough focus. Because yeah, as Kat said, Amir's amazing. Love him, adore him. The actor who portrays him does a fantastic job. Taisha was also great. What little we saw of her was fantastic. I just wanted more. But really, I guess I just wanted more Miss Marvel in general because I love the character. Just give me 20 episodes. It'll be great. I promise. I had the same thought as you about the season one, season two thing, because season one felt like it should have been that, getting used to just being a hero in our hometown and building up to that. And then at the end of the season, it could be, like, you think you understand yourself? Well, here's some more stuff you need to go look into and figure out. We're saying that without knowing what she's going to get up to in the Marvels. So maybe there's stuff she learned in Karachi that she needs to know for the Marvels or will become relevant in the Marvels. That is a problem with, oh yeah, we need to put this on hold or we need to rush through this because we've got a film Mm. to do or we've got another thing to do, which is one of the drawbacks to a shared universe, I suppose. But yeah, I wanted to see more of the Karachi stuff. As much as I loved seeing it and they filmed in Bangkok, didn't they? Standing in for Pakistan, so they couldn't film there directly. But as I understand it, it's close enough stylistically to pass. And I'm sure they could do some CGI to make buildings look the way they should. Yeah, yeah. And some sets and stuff like that. Yeah, they went somewhere and it was a really jarring visual shift because it was much Mm. busier it was much more vibrant in terms of the way it was lit and so on it was a really good shift away from the new jersey setting and you could understand the differences between the two just by looking at them but yeah i would have left it a bit later and focused on some of those other characters because we lose quite a chunk of the cast for two episodes which is a shame yeah it actually reminds me of the first season of star trek discovery where they're doing this klingon war story and then they leave and go to the mirror universe for a bit then they come back and it's a bit like what were we doing again all right this we need to finish this now it's kind of (laughs) a bit like that where they come back and it's oh yeah damage control they're still a problem let's deal with them it feels like damage control or a reasonable sized threat for kamala to deal with as her first goal rather than saving the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this weird thing where you pull her away from the small local story to have her go save the world. And then that all gets wrapped up very rapidly. And then she has to go back home to save her home from the local level threat. (laughs) It's an odd narrative decision that I don't know if I fully agree works. But also I just didn't like the clandestines in general. That's a whole other thing that we can talk about later because we've still got lots to talk about with Kamala. Oh my God. But I really didn't like the clandestines. Before we jump to that, Let's talk about her gaining her powers. Yeah. Her grandmother sends her a bangle. She puts on the bangle and then suddenly she can project hard light constructs. A bit like a Green Lantern, mm-hmm. I suppose. That's a thing that happens. And she puts people in danger accidentally at the convention and then saves some of them. So she solves a problem she inadvertently caused, which is very superhero thing. I'm just glad they didn't have her destroy a bathroom like they sometimes do in superhero origin stories. Oh, that comes in episode six, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's usually the home bathroom. They stand there and break the sink or something. It happened in The Amazing Spider-Man, it happened in Wolverine, and it happened in Black Lightning. That was three things that it happened in. Oh my god, you're right. I never noticed that before. <laughs> it was a weird trope for these few years. Oh, and the Power Rangers movie as well. Yeah, that was another one. Yeah. And no one ever questions (laughs) what happened to the sink. No one ever asked that question. Jessica Jones? Oh my God. It was everywhere. (laughs) There we go. Good job for dodging that, I suppose. I half expected that to come. I half expected that to happen in episode two. Instead, she just breaks a storeroom or something at school. That's fine. Yeah, no one cares. (laughs) It's a mess in there anyway. They won't notice for like three weeks. Don't worry about it. Yeah, so what did you think of her gaining her powers and how she reacted to them? Her first save being Zoe, which you already talked about, which is a interesting 
thing for her to do. Although, again, they didn't really set her up as being her mortal high school enemy, so it doesn't really land in the same way that it possibly should. But you did have that bit about, look at her wearing the revealing Captain Marvel costume. That's not fair. That's not accurate. (laughs) That's her costume from a comic book that doesn't exist. Side note, I do wonder, there's all these alternative costumes and you also see all these posters on Kamala's wall of Captain Marvel. And I'm like, when did Captain Marvel wait around on Earth to do all these photo shoots? before heading off back (laughs) to space and have all these alternative outfits and stuff. So obviously her powers in the show are different from her powers in the comics, which was a big, big thing. A lot of people used it as an excuse to hate on the show before it was even out. I know a lot of people still aren't happy with the powers being changed. I feel like I ended up being absolutely fine for the most part with the powers changing. I also personally think that as convoluted as the whole clandestine gin stuff ended up being... I like the idea of Kamala's bangle activating her powers in lieu of not having the Terrigen mist inhuman stuff. I don't care if she's an inhuman. I don't really care about the inhumans. (laughs) I don't really care what label you slap on her in terms of mutant or inhuman or whatever. So long as the character is intact, basically, I don't really mind. So I didn't mind that change. And yeah, I ended up liking the power change well enough. I think that Tying her getting her powers to the bangle, to her culture, to her family history is a pretty good idea. Along with some other changes that were made, such as her logo coming from her name in Arabic instead of from Miss Marvel's lightning bolt. And the origin of her name that her dad gives her in the last episode, talking about Kamala's meaning in Urdu, meaning Marvel, was really nice. Those are some changes I think worked well. I do think that the polymorphic powers she has in the comics and the things that they sort of express, while the show still managed to tackle some of those issues, such as her insecurities about her body and her appearance and her ethnicity and stuff like that, They still tackled those things, but I do think that the polymorphic powers in the comic tackle it in a much more direct and very visceral way that I think was sadly kind of missing. Her literally transforming herself into the blonde white Miss Marvel as the first thing she does with her powers and then still doing that because she's too insecure to do it as herself, being sort of echoed by her going out in her Captain Marvel cosplay. It's a cute idea and it still gets a similar idea across, just again in a slightly toned down way but the idea is still there so yeah overall liked it still have some oh it doesn't quite get the idea across in exactly the same way which is a shame but i still think they ended up making it work quite well and i did like she gets on stage in the cosplay contest and then oh god this awful (laughs) weird thing is happening and i'm just like oh no relatable not with me shooting crystals out of my hand but i've watched people run on stage in a cosplay contest and just trip over the stage or drop all their Yu-Gi-Oh cards out of their dual disc in their cosplay and stuff like that. And you see those things happen where just this really awful thing happens in a cosplay contest. And so it was weirdly relatable in that way. I felt like it was cool to have it happen at AvengerCon. And you still get the Zoe party in episode two. She just doesn't have anything with her powers happen there. But yeah, I felt like transferring it to having it happen at AvengerCon was cool. It echoes the whole fangirl thing quite well. And I know that in the Avengers video game. The Avenger Con thing is very much part of her origin in that. So I felt like they were kind of trying to marry the two concepts, which I felt worked pretty well. And Avenger Con looked great. It looked like a proper local lower tier convention, which was great. (laughs) We don't have any guests. We don't have anything. We just have some stuff and we have people dressed up that you can take photographs with. Here's some stuff for you to buy. It's very expensive. And we'll have a cosplay contest judged by someone that's not an Avenger. We couldn't get an Avenger. We couldn't even get 
Happy Hogan to turn up. We couldn't get <laughs> anybody of any significance. Side note, a small thing that I thought was really cool actually was how you see a shot of the cosplay contest judges at the table and one of the judges is actually quite a famous cosplayer who I believe was working on the costume team for the show. Oh, nice. So that was pretty cool. I didn't actually clock it. Another cosplay friend of mine clocked it and was like, did you see? And then I went back <laughs> and watched it. I was like, oh yeah, that's quite a neat Easter egg type thing. It's interesting how she bigged it up as well. She was talking about maybe we'll learn something about Captain Marvel avenger con she kind of doesn't mm. realize how piddly an event it is really they're trading on the fact that captain america was created near it that kind of thing yeah yeah we're gonna have it in this jank old warehouse because that's where captain america <laughs> was made <laughs> so it was good yeah and the powers i didn't have an issue even before the show came out it didn't bother me that they were changing the mm. powers because i thought they would have a reason for it and yeah the reason's a bit convoluted but they still managed to get away with doing a variation of all the stuff that she can do so you still got the big hands and the stuff that you know her for. Yeah. The embigging thing still happens, but it means she projects a shield around herself that she sits inside that makes her a bit bigger, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I will also say, actually, that in the comics at one point, Kamran, who's very different in the comics. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Forcibly gives Amir superpowers by doing pterogenesis on him. And the powers that Amir gets in that comic are actually quite similar to the powers that they gave Kamala in the show. And I wonder whether that might have been sort of a connection point there. His are green, but he gets these sort of green light projection things around his body that he uses as a shield or to hit people or whatever. So yeah, I wonder if that decision was made maybe with that in mind. Yeah, there was one inconsistency I noticed or think I noticed with the powers as well. In the second episode, it became clear that she couldn't lift heavy stuff with them. Mm. And then by the finale, she's lifting a car. I don't know when that leveled up. Yeah, I wonder if that was just she's gotten more used to using her powers or something. Yeah, but I was taking it as she is as strong as a 16-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. I also really love the training sequence stuff that they had in the second episode. There was a lot of humour in it. This is what two teenagers think you should do to train your superpowers <laughs> kind of thing. It was very cute. The scene where she falls off the side of the building and you see Bruno holding onto her and then she's like, you have to let me go. And then she just falls like a couple of feet. <laughs> the end game riff. I like how rustic that was, how homemade it was, as in she doesn't have Tony Stark turning up to give her a costume. She has... Bruno, and he doesn't really know what he's doing either, but he seems to know more than he probably should, as in, look on my tablet, I've scanned you somehow, and can see that you're yeah, radiating yeah, yeah. this energy. I have mapped your genome, and I have found some interesting things about your genes. You're a high schooler, what? Yeah, really, Bruno, with your Kindle, you did that? <laughs> I get you're a genius, but no, I'm not buying that. How did you do that? <laughs> it was a bit like Kick-Ass, that sequence, actually. Just the muddling through, figuring it out as you go, not making massive strides. Yeah, there's some stuff like the stuff with Bruno I'm kind of willing to hand wave and be like, well, it's a superhero universe. Maybe they have more advanced tech and he's looking up how Tony Stark does certain things and there's just more information out there or something. Yeah, okay, whatever. I guess if Peter Parker can do it, maybe you can do it. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Maybe that's the idea. <laughs> there's a difference between making web fluid in a drawer at school and mapping someone's genome, though, I think. Yeah. <laughs> The webbing, that stuff is pretty complex too, though. Where and how pre-Tony Stark, Peter Parker had the wherewithal to go, yeah, you know what, this is how I'm going to do it in my high school lab. That still takes some unnatural chops, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's that suspension of disbelief that is crucial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms of Bruno, did I miss something? Does he have any family? He lives alone, doesn't he? No, his parents are gone. He lives with his grandma. 
Okay. He mentions it in episode six. It's very brief. He says, okay. my nonna. So there's another thing in the comics. There's a lot of emphasis on the fact that Bruno's family are Italian immigrants. Mm-hmm. So even though he's white, there's a connection between him and Kamala over the fact that both their families are different groups of immigrants, which I really love. They don't really deal with that in the show at all. It's just a very brief. He refers to his grandma as his nonna. And that's kind of it. But yeah, he lives with his grandma. And I think his parents are dead. Okay. I don't know if it's the same in the show. Heavily inferred, I think they say his parents are gone a couple of times. I actually missed the grandma reference, so I just thought that he was orphaned and living by himself, because we never see anybody. Yeah, it's this super brief thing he says to Cameron, where he's like, my nonna's out of town, but she made food before she left and it's in the freezer or something like that. I see, okay. She maybe gets mentioned in the first episode when Maniba gives him all that food. Oh, maybe actually, yeah. Because I'm sure she says something about tell someone that the bottom one's a spicy one or something like that. Oh, you're right. Yes, she does. Yeah, 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 you're right. I'm going to give you some food and then she just appears with 10 boxes or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. When did you do all this? The accuracy. (laughs) The number of times I've been over to my parents' house and I've been like, oh, I'm just going over real quick to help my mum with some computer thing. And I leave with like three Tupperwares full of rice. And I'm just like, what happened? I don't get it. (laughs) And then you're just like, jackpot. That's me for the next few days. Yeah. <laughs> it's that whole thing, and I think they do it on the show as well. Oh, are you hungry? No, it's okay, I'll fix you something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which we also do in Greece. We are compelled to feed people. You can't possibly not be hungry. No, oh, come on, just have something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my grand's Irish, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You can't go over without getting a cup of tea and a few biscuits thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether you want them or not, they're done. And then it's rude not to partake because you don't want to offend the host, even if you're related to them, especially if you're related to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, that's relatable. doesn't matter what background you come from, you can draw a connection to that. Yeah, definitely. The Maniba-Kamala relationship is a good time to come on to that since we got there naturally. Like you said earlier, it was great how they portrayed that. And you said it was a very accurate cultural portrayal, but beyond that, I found it just an accurate parent-child portrayal. As in the relationship Mm. isn't always perfect. They aren't always on great terms. They don't always see eye to eye. I found that interesting, particularly in the first episode where she gets offered a compromise that allows her to go to AvengerCon, just not on her terms. And she reacts as you would Mm. expect a teenager to react. This isn't fair. Yeah. Other people get to do whatever they want. I don't get to do whatever I want. And then she storms off. But ultimately she comes around to realise that was a bit much of me I shouldn't have done that because ultimately she has been offered the opportunity to go to this thing maybe not as she wanted to but she would have got to go and she made her cosplays for her (laughs) I think that scene is really interesting because like I mentioned earlier a lot of people have been hating on Maniba because how dare a woman of colour a mother not always just be the perfect doting angel (laughs) but I think that scene is really interesting because it shows that technically both of them are in the right there in different ways Kamala said this is me and Bruno's thing This is something that I want to do for my interests and with my friend. Remembering back when I was a teenager and and trying to go out for the first few times and stuff like that. I can definitely relate to that. You want to be able to separate from your parents a little bit. It's absolutely fair. But from Maniba's perspective, she's a parent in particular a parent from an immigrant family from a marginalized group who, as we learn later on, there's some history around their family lived through the partition and there's some fear around what might happen to a child if they go off on their own and stuff like that that's, again, completely valid. 
And she actually, in that scene, like you said, she offers her a compromise and she even makes her costumes and stuff like that. I thought it was really sweet. So yeah, I don't see either of them as being 100% in the wrong or in the right in that situation, which I think is interesting for a portrayal of a parent and a child. Yeah, it's real. Mm. You will have those kinds of disagreements in any walk of life, but it is added on by the cultural side of it because she is overprotective. Is that, oh, oh, there'll be boys there. She talks about it as if she's asking to go to an orgy. Yeah. And there's some interesting stuff there. Kamala points out if Amir wanted to go, you'd probably let him. And I'm like, yeah, there is a difference between how they treat their daughter and their son, maybe. Amir's also older. I found it very interesting. And I think it's a shame that people looked at that and went, wow, what a bitch Muniba is. I think it's a really interesting portrayal of a mother-daughter relationship. And then the way it develops from there, I think is fantastic. We come full circle from Muniba not wanting Kamala to dress up as Captain Marvel to Muniba making her superhero costume for her and making it something that emulates her culture. Yeah, I cried during that scene. I'd said on Twitter the week before, Muniba's going to make her costume for her because Muniba made the cosplays, Muniba found the broken necklace and all that stuff. Muniba's going to make her costume for her. So I knew it was going to happen. And then I still cried when it came up because it felt like very emotional catharsis kind of moment. And that all tying into Kamala sitting between American culture and her culture and her family's expectations of her and who she wants to be as an individual and stuff like that. Those are the things she grapples with in the comic that are really interesting. And I felt like all those things were present in the show as well. And all of that was still explored in really interesting ways. Well, that's where the Karachi stuff really came into its own for me was the three generations of women in the family and how they bounce off each other. Kamala learns a lot about why her mother is the way she is with her through the way her grandmother interacts with her mother. She sees that rippling down and she gains an extra understanding of it. But it also had the thing about your grandmother is always on your side. She's always your best Mm. friend. Whenever your mum tells you something you don't want to hear or says something that you don't like, you run to your grandmother. Or at least that's my experience. (laughs) Whenever your parents upset you, you go to the grandparents because they've got your back. They're your friend. And (laughs) what they'll actually do is they'll actually help you understand what happened there in a way that lets you understand it rather than necessarily siding with you. It'll be like, yeah, but this is the way it actually is. And explains it in such a way that makes it think they've stuck up for you. They've really handled this situation. So you had that. Yeah, go off, be young. I'll handle your mother. Don't worry about it. That kind of stuff. I thought that was great. Yeah, it was cute. I also love, as much as I think it's a shame Karachi not getting a lot of focus and I feel like it could have been shifted to season two, I also loved how with Kamala going to Karachi, we got to see another side of being an immigrant in the West when you go back to the country of origin. The real differences and the sort of fake prescribed differences between diaspora and people who still live in the home country. Small things like Kamala not really knowing how to dress for the weather and not really speaking the language super well and seeing her hang out with Kareem's friends and them being a lot more down to earth while her cousins seem to be a bit more affluent maybe. Mm -hmm. So you get to see all these different sides of the culture there and how Kamala even feels like an outsider to them, which is definitely something I can relate to, not only being diaspora, but also being mixed race as well, adds another layer. So I thought all of that stuff really hit home quite well. And then on top of that, it's not all bad because you also see her joy in experiencing Karachi. The drive back from the airport, I thought was particularly nice just watching her experiencing the city. For I think it's supposed to be the first time she's been there. The music they chose for that scene was really beautiful. And again, it's portraying Karachi in a way that you wouldn't usually see on television because people's preconceived notion of Pakistan is still, it's some war-torn, desolate, shanty town place. And there probably are some places that are like that in Pakistan, but it's not the only thing that it's like. It's varied, it's nuanced. And that was something that the show got across really, really well. Yeah, I did wonder about if she'd been there before because she recognised the dock. 
Oh, yeah, that's true, actually. Maybe she was there when she was a bit younger. I don't know. But driving through Karachi from the airport, it was like whenever you see people go to Las Vegas, you know, that famous (laughs) repeated shot that you see in so many things of, oh, wow, look at that. Look at that. And here's that famous hotel or whatever. It reminded me of that a little bit. And from my perspective of, again, being introduced to the cultural nuances through this show, because as I said earlier, I didn't really know an awful lot about it. It astounded me how great a job the first three episodes did of establishing the baseline for Kamala's background so that you understood that really well. And then she goes to Karachi and suddenly she's a fish out of water. But we understand why she's a fish out of water because we have the context of her own background. So I thought it was really clever, really efficient storytelling in terms of she has to get stuff explained to her. And we understand the difference between her life and what she's experienced here because we've had that. We've had those three episodes depicting that so it's things like she's wearing jeans and that's controversial that's why we're sitting outside those little cultural hiccups that she gets wrong little details like that really stood out to me yeah cat what was your thoughts on the karachi excursion i suppose we can call it (laughs) that sounds like a big bang theory episode title doesn't it (laughs) i loved it so so much i kind of related to it a lot in the sense that i'm an immigrant by choice i left greece because i wanted to live somewhere else and i didn't feel like i belonged there kind of i suppose like the muniba of this story she left because she wanted to leave not necessarily because she was made to so the idea of going home and then not 100% fitting in anymore because you've been gone for so long. Yes, the cat also has opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I've lived in the UK for 15 years and that means that when I go home, it feels a little strange to me and the place changes in ways that I can't keep up with because I'm not there. So I really enjoyed her connecting to that culture in ways that perhaps she hadn't thought of before when she was younger and it becoming relevant because of her powers as well which is something that she's always wished she had and the powers come from her culture was very powerful and very meaningful and i really really appreciated that i loved seeing the red daggers and what are superheroes like in pakistan Mm. what does this avengers world look like in the part of the world that she hails from and does she have a part in that? And she does, and that's really cool. My question here is to you, Isa, because it's part of your heritage, is by making Kamala a djinn and by bringing djinn into the fold as a fictional thing that people really connect to in a real way in the real world, I mean outside the comics, I have a lot of Muslim friends for whom the djinn stories and myths they feel real in ways that say my greek mythology doesn't and i was like i'm not sure that i like that this is the explanation but how do you feel about this this was something i was gonna bring up when we talked about the clandestines but it's absolutely cool to bring up here too i personally really hated the jinn concept being used here i'll also say i'm not muslim i'm not religious at all but i do engage a lot with fantasy media and stuff like that. And I've noticed over and over again that whenever there is anything to do with Swana or South Asian or Muslim cultures, the one thing that everyone always immediately gravitates towards is jinn. It felt very lazy to me and 
it also felt like it was just resting on this stereotype, which has been very prevalent in white made media about that general part of the world. Like everyone always has the association immediately with Aladdin, which not only is a movie that's been made by white people twice over, but also is a story that was added into the Thousand and One Nights by a white person. It felt very pointless to me. I think I would feel differently if Kamala originally had anything to do with Jinn at all. Because I'm also not saying that I think Pakistani people or Muslim people have no right to ever tell stories about Jinn. They absolutely do. But I find it very confusing that Kamala is a character who had nothing to do with Jinn in the comics, ever. And when they adapt her, they realize, oh, we need to change her powers for whatever reason it was, whether it was to do with Mr. Fantastic coming into the MCU or whether it was to do with it won't look good on a TV scale budget, whatever, they had to change her powers. Okay, so therefore, does that mean you have to change her entire origin and now make her explicitly tied to a semi-Orientalist concept? Because that I had a big issue with. And also then it ended up not even mattering in the end because they just kind of went like, she's a djinn. Well, actually, that's not how she got her powers anyway. So I'm like, why is this here? Literally every episode that went by, I was like, why is this here to even bigger degrees? And by the end, I was just like, you literally didn't need to do it. And the show dismisses it itself as well, doesn't it? Because they say if Thor had landed in the Himalayas, people would have called him a djinn as well. So it's, oh yeah, we're not doing this for any reason then. It's just a word we're using for some reason. It felt so pointless. I know that it upset a lot of people as well. Yeah, I can imagine so. I know some people who didn't have a problem with it. I know of at least one person who really liked it. Not everyone has to have the same opinion, but a lot of Muslims, South Asian, Swana people I've spoken to about it just really felt uncomfortable about it. Mm. And really felt like it was Marvel resting on a stereotype, an Orientalist trope that's often used by white people. And I did notice that episode three, where they introduced the concept, was written by white people, unlike a lot of the other episodes. But I have to imagine that the concept had to have been in there in the wider scope. So I wonder who is responsible for that. And I'm like, why? And yeah, the show even dismisses the need for it. So why did you put in this trope that just upset people and made people kind of uncomfortable about the show in some aspects to then not even follow it through felt really weird yeah for me i was kind of indifferent to it as a plot point because they dismissed it as well and i was wondering what the point of it all was but my only exposure to the gin as a concept is from episodes of supernatural before this so mm-hmm. i didn't have the same the word baggage is wrong American Gods also did the Jinn concept, and I thought it was probably the one depiction that I thought was kind of done better, but it still plays into that Orientalist trope. I just don't think that it's done in a sensitive way where it's because it's so real for people that it upset me. As a white person who's from an Eastern European background, I'm Serbian, I'm Greek, but I don't have the skin in the game that a lot of Muslim people will, for whom this is a very real part of their life. And I was just like, okay, so you've done this, you've dismissed this, so what does it mean? really, for Kamala to be a djinn. And then it just kind of ties into some thoughts I have, which I guess we will go into in a different episode when we talk about Thor. (laughs) But I've just had a lot of thoughts recently about the cosmology of Marvel and how the new phase is kind of throwing a wrench into previously established concepts, which I don't like. I don't like this. (laughs) Oh, you and Aaron are going to have a blast on the Thor podcast. Oh, 
my god, I have so many thoughts. I want to flip a table right now. I just think that if you're gonna base the entirety of your success as a film franchise on the fact that there is such continuity and such careful, meticulous care to make sure that everything fits together like a perfect puzzle, and then here comes this new generation just after Endgame being like, yeah, you know what, none of this really matters, and we're just gonna throw spanners into everything you thought you knew. I don't appreciate this from a storytelling concept. And to do this on a small scale within just the one show, to just be like, here's a concept for you, but then also not really. And yeah, <laughs> the fact that it's culturally sensitive, I was just like, I don't think that that was a very good choice. So I'm glad to hear your perspective, Isa, and that <laughs> my reaction was not so far off the mark. It made me feel uncomfortable. It's a pretty common sentiment I've seen. And I remember watching episode three and when they showed the recap and they showed Amir mentioning, oh, are you still scared of the gin or something like that? which he says to her in the first episode, I kind of went, oh no, because <laughs> why else would you show that in the recap unless it was going to be important? And yeah. I had remembered seeing a white woman scooper talking about Miss Marvel is going to be a gin. And I was like, please tell me this is just a white woman being ignorant and thinking this is a thing she can say to get people's attention. And then I was like, oh God, she's right. And I hate that she's right. <laughs> You have one brown Muslim Pakistani main character in the entire MCU. And, of course and you make her a jinn. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'm not saying you can't have stories about jinn. You can. But to tokenize it? Yeah, we have our one brown character and she's a jinn. And then to also tie it to the clandestines, which admittedly... I hadn't even heard of before this show, but after they got brought up, I went to a friend of mine who's a comic book buff who knows way more than me. And I was like, who the hell are the clandestines? Tell me what this is. And he was like, oh yeah, it's like a super orientalist old comic where it's a bunch of people who are gin and it's like really racist. And I was like, again, why? Why would you go and sift through like everything you have in Marvel back catalogs and for the one Muslim character be like, Grab the clandestines, they're Jin. Why? <laughs> they're nothing to do with her. And also the way they were implemented in the show was really bad anyway. All of that was really valuable because I didn't know anything about any of that insensitivity background because I just haven't been exposed to it mm. and I didn't come across mm. it. Just for me, I thought the story was weak and the reasoning behind it was weak and then dismissing it that way. Like I say, my only encounter with those kinds of stories was when I watched Supernatural. And in that it was, let's look up the book that we have that tells us what a Jin is. Okay, cool. How do we kill it? And then they go kill it. And then that's the end of that story. <laughs> As is a lot of Supernatural, which is fine. I can't remember the episodes well enough to know if they go into the background in any detail. I would guess they probably don't. They might allude to it. I haven't seen Supernatural. I haven't seen all of American Gods. I only watched the first episode. But I have noticed that very often it is this thing where we will do gin for one episode or for one movie or for one thing. And that is the thing that is associated with brown characters or exploring themes related to the Swana region or South Asia. And it's always super orientalist. The one thing I can think of is D&D. I haven't seen Supernatural, but I've played a lot of D&D and I've read a lot into a lot of the D&D lore around genies and Janassi and stuff. And it's like, wow, you really did pick your one thing associated with the Swana region and go like, Jin done and they always entrench it in a lot of stuff with the genies have slaves and stuff to do with environments that are just very stereotypical of stuff to do with deserts and stuff like that and it's always really tiring because it's just like this is the one thing you can think of over and over again it's always the one thing it's always gin and then it's just not usually a particularly good usage of them 
in my opinion. And so yeah, it was just disappointing to see Miss Marvel do that, especially when it's the one brown character and the character was never associated with them. I just really question why they had to do it. The only reason I can think of that they might have done it is the whole wish fulfillment angle, as in Kamala wants powers, her wish is fulfilled, and you've got the genie (laughs) side. I don't know. It's a very tenuous link, but there is something in there, I suppose. But the bangle I found quite interesting because in the place it was found, you see the symbol of the Ten Rings. It's a blink and you'll miss it thing, and actually I can't credit myself with noticing it. It had to be pointed out to me, but it's there. They talk about there being another bangle somewhere, which I imagine is what Carol must have touched, and that's why they switch places. Mm. And it reminds me of a thing in the comics called the Negabands. They basically allow you to travel to and from the negative zone. There's two of them, obviously, and there was a point where the Hulk's best friend, Rick Jones, was wearing them, and he would switch places with... The Cree Captain Marvel, the guy called Marvel, by tapping the bands together and they would switch places. It was essentially a riff on a secret identity for him. It was really weird. I'm just going to lock myself in the negative zone for a wee while while you sort this problem and then you'll go back in for some reason. Why would you do that to yourself? But that's what that was. So I think that's what they're getting at with that. I don't think it would be exactly the same as in the comics, but there is a link to the Ten Rings and it does seem the writing on it and so forth is similar to, again, the Ten Rings that we've already seen. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people talk about the Nega Band connection and stuff like that. And yeah, clocked the Ten Rings symbol. And also, is it the Kree? The blue people? Yeah. The arm that the bangle was on? That's what draws your attention to immediately. They're blue, they must be the Kree. Couldn't be anything else. Yeah. (laughs) To come back to the gin thing again, they see the bangle on a severed Kree arm and you're like, oh, okay, it's Kree tech or something. It's like alien tech and it activates something in their DNA and gives them superpowers or something. And they're like, no, 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 no. No, something else that's really convoluted. They give her multiple convoluted origins or possible origins throughout the course of six episodes. And for me, that was one of the weakest aspects of it because I was just like, just let Kamala be Kamala. I don't think she has to be an inhuman, but we don't have to agonize over this. Yeah. Well, I thought they were just doing the inhuman thing without using the word because it's a bit of a swear word now after the TV show. Yeah. (laughs) You could just have her be someone who gets superpowers. Not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really did well with the Inhumans. Yeah, I loved the handling of the Inhumans in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is, I think, something I've lamented on this podcast previously. And I will never stop complaining about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was doing something awesome. And then the Russos were like, "Mm, yeah, no. And then just scrapped everything. And so, first of all, whole seasons of emotional attachment based on the first ever project that was supposed to be connected to the MCU that was outside of the movies. It was just like, yeah, you know how we said all of this was going to be connected? We lied, which I feel betrayed by to this day. But then also, there was a story element which is lost. And I really thought that maybe with Captain Marvel and stuff that they were kind of going to bring that back in. But no. And the Inhumans TV show was awful and it had potential. So it was just an entire concept squandered that could have solved a lot of problems. It could have solved the X-Men problem. It could have solved so many things. And those were creative choices. Those were choices that were made. And I don't like them and I haven't liked them for years. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, well, the reason they were pushing in humans is because they didn't have mutants. So it's like, well, they're just the same. The only difference is one label is born with them and the other label has to have them activated. That's how we can just suddenly have a bulk upload of a bunch of superheroes. Just something happens and their powers get activated, which is what happened in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but turns out not in the same universe anymore, so whatever. But you did have Black Bolt in the MCU, sort of. So there is still hope. 
you know, for two whole seconds. <laughs> there is still hope that the Inhumans may exist somewhere, may appear at some point, but I thought that's what they were doing for a while. I thought it was going to be something activated within her. Okay, that could be her being an Inhuman, or it could be they just don't want to reference it, and then they end up labelling her as a mutant at the end in a really clumsy scene. I'm getting tired of these <laughs> clumsy fan service things because it's such an awkward conversation. Yeah, so I finished mapping your genome because your brother wanted to know if he had superpowers. Turns out he doesn't because your DNA is different because there's a mutation. I started thinking about how else could that conversation have gone. I mapped your genome and you're different to your family. You're inhuman. It would have been exactly the same, but it sounded a bit harsher the second way, I suppose. I mean, neither the name mutant or inhuman feels like a particularly nice thing to call someone. No. That's just another label. Not going to worry about it. But yeah, I'll admit that the animated X-Men theme tune is just so ingrained into my brain from childhood that my initial <laughs> reaction to that was, oh my God, that's the X-Men theme. Oh my God, just like activated something in me. And then I thought about it for like two seconds and I was like, oh my God, really? That's kind of cringe actually. <laughs> the MCU has used that music twice without having made a single X-Men film. And the Fox franchise didn't yeah. use it in almost 20 years of making movies. I mean, it's a good theme and they should have used it because it's amazing. It was someone <laughs> ringtone in the first episode of The Gifted. That was the only time it ever made its way out of the cartoon. Never saw it. Gifted is all right, actually, but it doesn't matter now because it's gone. It might turn up on Disney Plus under the stuff you may also want to watch heading that they have mm. for Marvel stuff that isn't really Marvel stuff. But yes, yeah, so she's a mutant. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. So she's the MCU's first mutant. Yeah. But where are the rest? It just made me ask questions because she can't be the only one. That's the whole point. Where have they been this whole time? How are we going to explain this? Xavier mind wiping everybody so they don't know that mutants exist? That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that right now. I feel like there's stuff that is probably in the pipeline. Somebody will have thought of something. For me, I guess the question is... So all of this other realm stuff, which is very vague on this show when the clandestines say they're from another realm, what does that mean? Another realm, another dimension. What does that mean in the context of everything else we know? And okay, say this is an entirely new concept, but to then kind of tie it into being a mutant. My one thought and the one perhaps light at the end of a tunnel that I can see that I'm okay with world building wise is what if basically if you're human, you have to have a mutation in order to be a conduit for powers. So maybe Carol Danvers is a mutant. Wanda, they all came in touch with cosmic objects like the Tesseract or the Mind Stone in the case of Wanda. Why did touching these objects give them powers? but other people not. Mm -hmm. What is the difference there and how do these powers manifest and why do they manifest in this way? Maybe it's you have to have this mutation in order for these objects to channel this power through you and then to activate whatever. That's kind of the thought that I had that I was like, Okay, maybe. I'm not sure how they will then go into powers manifesting by themselves because so far on the MCU, it's always been through objects, through coming in touch with something else. The Kit Harrington Ebony Blade situation, is that going to be, oh, I touched the sword. I have questions. This is perhaps a solution. It still doesn't 100% answer things, even for me, but I had this thought as we were wrapping up the show with my fiance and I was like, hmm... I don't know how I feel about the mutation thing, except... What do you do about Wolverine after that and stuff like that? Because he's been around for hundreds of years. 
I don't know that Wolverine is part of this universe. I hope they retire the character. I think we've all had enough of Wolverine. No, he'll be yeah, back. Please. And I say this <laughs> as a Logan fanatic. It was one of my first fandoms. It was the movie that got me into reading comics. And you know those embarrassing email addresses you make as a teenager? <laughs> one of mine was in Greek, but it was Logan fanatic. Basically, Aww. I love Wolverine. But I've had enough of them. <laughs> it's been 20 years. That's okay. I'm all right. Thank you. Let's <laughs> let some other characters speak. There's no shortage of mutants to fan over. There's no shortage of cool powers. Please make Storm good. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Do her justice. And Rogue. And let's not even talk about Jean Grey, because I feel like that ship has sailed. Because <laughs> they tried to redo Jean Grey. You did it twice, you ruined it twice, so let's leave it. Yeah, I have no high hopes for Jean Grey anymore. It's fine, let's move on. The three main female characters, Jean Grey, Storm and Rogue, got absolutely shafted <laughs> in the movies. So well. much. <laughs> Wolverine was Kamala's first team up in the comics, though. Yeah, he was. God, that was such a good comic. I reread that recently. <laughs> Good point to come on to Najma and the other clandestines. I don't know that any of them even were given names. If they were, they're not important because they're just hench people. So they don't really matter in that sense. But I thought the establishment of them as antagonists was really weak. Because it starts off with, okay, here's a bit of your background. And Kamala's like, right, cool, that's a lot to take in. I'm just glad that Cameron is actually 17 and not like 100 years old. That's really comforting to me. That was good. <laughs> Indirect Twilight commentary. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was, give me a couple of days to look into this. I can help you get back home, maybe, but I want to have a couple of days to look into it to make sure it's safe. And they're saying, no, we've waited decades. We're not waiting another couple of days. So we're just going to kill you and steal the bangle. Everything to do with the clandestines was just so nebulously vague yeah. in terms of application. If you've waited a hundred years, why does it matter that Kamala wants some time to do some research? Surely you can wait a bit longer. Yeah, it's annoying. If they'd even just given some kind of explanation like this particular time, the stars align in a particular way and so we have to do it then because it's when the, the veil is thinnest or whatever. Some kind of explanation would have been nice other than just, hi, I'm being really nice to you. Oh, you didn't give me what I want immediately? I want to murder you. <laughs> it was just such a wildly fast heel turn for seemingly no reason. <laughs> Can I at least go to my brother's wedding before I help you? What's <laughs> yeah. going on first? Can we not ruin my brother's wedding, please? God. No, you mildly inconvenienced us, so now we're going to turn into evil people in leather jackets who come and destroy a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that felt like a symptom of having too few episodes. Oh, yeah. The heel turn happening within the same episode was bizarre. Yeah, I agree. I thought their stuff was mildly interesting, but felt like one antagonist too many. Either it's the government after her, or it's the clandestines after her. Having both just kind of felt like too much, and also not enough time to really go into either. I mean, I don't know what there is to go into with damage control. All of this stuff about there's another realm, it's tied to your culture, what's going on, and that shift between oh we just want to help you and tell you all about it to if you don't help us now we're gonna kill you it just didn't feel realistic and it kind of soured the latter half of the show which i found super interesting but then we kind of had to deal with those guys and i was like Ugh, must we i don't even like this and the defeat was just as quick it was you have to seal the portal otherwise the world will end but i want to go home but what about your son yeah you're right Okay, that was it. Okay. <laughs> Job done. Doesn't sound like you were that committed to getting home, really. You heel turned in 30 seconds. 
Well, she heel turned in 30 seconds the first time yeah. as well. So. <laughs> but yeah, there was a lot of that overall... Again, a symptom of too much story in too few episodes. The clandestines get introduced. They heel turn within the same episode. Waleed gets introduced. He dies within the same episode. Too much of that, I felt, kind of let the show down quite a bit because it felt like it really affected the overall pacing of the show. And yeah, the clandestines having all this vagueness around them, even as well as the time sensitivity of it, the actual nature of how they get back home and in what way that quote-unquote destroys everything, because that's just what they keep saying. They just <laughs> say, it's going to destroy everything. It's just so vague. What's it actually going to do? I'm not one of those people who's like, I need a scientific explanation of everything happening in this show. But it just all felt really vague in a way that didn't service the story very yeah. well. Whereas the stuff with damage control felt like it had actual stakes, quantifiable stakes that you could understand. Yeah, you can't just show me a PowerPoint presentation and call that a plot that's pretty <laughs> lazy i did take the neuro dimension to be a bit like the quantum realm as in it sits somewhere don't even get me started on the quantum realm <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started we'll be here for half an hour about how much i hate it so don't even <laughs> it's there it's just really small i took the neuro dimension to be something similar but again, it doesn't give you a lot on it. I honestly wasn't sure. I was like, is this another thing in the multiverse? Is it just another universe? I don't know. But the first thing Kamala does as a superhero is save the entire world somehow. Yeah. Like I said earlier, it feels so wrong for the character who's so tied to being a local hero who helps her community to save the world and then fly back home and save her local community. And also, that to me, just feels like bad story structure <laughs> as well. Yeah. But the last episode was so effective and emotional. I got teared up multiple times throughout that episode because that was the episode where I felt like we finally got payoff to a lot of the really good stuff in episodes one and two. Mm. And even the best aspects of episodes three to five, where I was just like, this is what the first season of a Miss Marvel show should be. Yeah. The connection to her community, her friends coming to help her, her family supporting her, yeah. the community helping her in return for her saving them was just so beautiful. Had some issues with the whole, there's got to be some good cops. You can't just only have bad cops, but also it's the MCU. I don't expect Marvel and Disney to go full on with an ACAB message as much as I would like that. They get military funding. I'm not expecting it from them. That was a weak point. But other than that, it all landed so well. And I was just like, this could have been the actual overarching plot of the series. And we could have had her having maybe like a more makeshift version of her superhero outfit, hanging out in New Jersey, saving people with Bruno as the man in the chair and getting to know characters like Nakia and Zoe and Taisha and Amir more, and then build up to that final fight with damage control. I felt would have been a much more evocative first season for a Miss Marvel show. And all the clandestine stuff just felt messy. And I think it was Sana Aminat or Bisha K. Ali, who was the main writer. One of them said in an interview that a lot of clandestine stuff actually got cut, which doesn't surprise me because it feels really sloppy. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe some executive told them, oh, you have to put this stuff in here because it has to fit in with other stuff we're planning. Because it sure feels that way. It sure feels shoehorned in. Yeah. And there was a few rushed things associated with that plot. I thought the time travel episode was not as much as it could have been because Kamala's only there to do really one thing, which is guide her young grandmother to her father, which, yeah, fine, okay, that's already been established and you could figure out pretty early on that that's what her role was going to be within that. Mm -hmm. It was just very quick. But then you get the Aisha and Hassan relationship, 
which is told through a montage. So you get the details, the high level details of what their connection was, but you don't really get the texture of it, which was a bit of an issue for me because I was supposed to really invest in this thing. And then it was, it's a few minutes. I felt like despite the little time they had for the Aisha and Hassan story, I felt like they did a really good job with actually showing you what their bond was and who they were as individuals, considering what little time they had. But again, if you had a whole season focusing on Kamala's connection to the partition and her family history in Pakistan, we could sit with these characters for a really long time. Same with, we didn't get to sit with characters like Nakia and Zoe and Taisha for long enough. The partition episode is weird for me because again, I'm like, it should be there. It's so important. It's so valuable. And the story that was told within it was really good. I love Aisha. I love Hassan. I also, side note, love Hassan as a depiction of a disabled character. I think that was really nice. Really well done. Uh-huh. I thought yeah. that. Absolutely. And then Kamala actually going and experiencing the train station during the partition. Fantastic. Felt like there was some odd direction or blocking or editing or something going on with the actual scene where she makes the trail of stars. It's a little bit stilted. I don't quite understand why but overall i felt like the episode was really emotionally evocative and again really important to portray i wished it had more focus and more time still well her giving the picture to sana was really powerful yeah that was really effective i thought when she ended up in the past i was like oh god we're gonna get something really huge here and then they just rush through it and then by the end of the episode you've got that whole thing resolved i got a bit whiplash from going through it Mm. The Aisha and Hassan relationship thing, it reminded me of the opening of Aquaman, actually, where you get that just quick build up to him being born. If anyone's seen Aquaman. I haven't seen Aquaman. I haven't seen Aquaman. Oh, okay, <laughs> just me then. You keep saying all the things I haven't seen. <laughs> it's pretty good. It reminded me of that similar sort of idea of let's do a montage to get you to the present day very quickly. And then the partition scenes as well give you an idea of the upheaval, the country experience, the burning houses and things like that which I thought was some pretty mm. powerful imagery, again, to show you on a series that's part of the biggest mass market franchise in the world. I'm not going to call them brave, but it's something that is impressive to see in something of this scale or of this implied scale. I yeah, suppose. definitely. I actually remember, funnily enough, messaging an American friend of mine and they were like, wow, I'm actually really impressed that they're showing this much of the partition. Obviously, it's a bit, I don't want to say sanitized, but pared down a little bit because kids have to watch this show. So they're not going to show a whole bunch of murder and stuff like that. But they actually showed the British as the villains and stuff. And I was like, yeah, if the Americans had been the ones who occupied India, they wouldn't have done it. But yeah, it is really impressive to see it depicted on screen. The only other show I've ever seen do it was Doctor Who. <laughs> and when that came out, people were saying, oh, wow, is this based on a real historical event? I'm like, yes. Because yeah, people just don't know about it, like we said earlier. And it is something that is very seldom explored in Western media anyway. I'm not saying everything in a what is essentially a fantasy show has to be explained, but why can the Bangle time travel? And why doesn't it match with the MCU time travel rules that we've had established before? Yeah. yeah exactly. Maybe it's the whole Nega band thing. You said the whole thing with Nega bands maybe. is that they swap places. So maybe it's, I can call a future version of it to me thing that's related to that. That'll be explained later. Sure. I wouldn't mind that. But yeah, again, it's all zoomed past very, very quickly. 
Yeah, there's that line of the poem that Hassan recites to Aisha that is then inscribed on the bangle. What you seek is seeking you, which kind of made me think it was when she noticed the inscription that then she did the time traveling, if I remember correctly. So I wonder if there's a, an element of the bangle does what you seek. I'm not quite sure. Oh, like the wish thing, like the, the gym thing. Oh no. <laughs> Because Aisha also touched the bangle in order to bring, and she brought Kamala into that moment in time. And I guess she thought it was going to be Sana, but it wasn't. Because when Kamala turns up and Aisha's like, oh, Sana, good, it worked. I'm not sure if she says it worked, but it's kind of like she was expecting something. And I'm not sure if that's when the inscription appeared on the bangle. There's a lot of vagueness to it. (laughs) And not enough definition of rules and how that all work. It's a shame we didn't get to see more of Kareem and Waleed though. They were really good for what they were. Yeah, I'm quite disappointed that Waleed killed off within the first episode he was introduced. I really liked him as a character. Also just on a personal level, he really reminded me of one of my very important backstory NPCs for my favourite <laughs> D&D character. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then he's dead. And I was like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that they're both played by some pretty big Bollywood actors. Well, Lee is, yeah, and Aisha definitely is. And I believe the guy who plays Hassan is also very well known. Right, okay. Mm. Pakistani, I think, not Indian. Okay. Or at least right. I know that the actress who plays Aisha is Pakistani. But yeah, they're all very well known actors over there. I think it was described as it's as if Brad Pitt has turned up for this TV show. Yeah. That kind of scale. And then you kill him off after one episode. <laughs> well, he's expensive, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why. For me, it fed into the issue of this show either has too few episodes. It was trying to do too much with too few episodes. You know. I think my favourite Kareem moment was when Maniba discovered Kamala's secret. And the first thing she was concerned with is, who is this teenage boy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's doing the whole, hello, aunties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was great. One of my favorite lines in the whole show is right after that, when Kareem goes up onto the balcony and then Kamala follows him up. She goes, I'm pretty sure a Pakistani goodbye is the opposite of an Irish one. (laughs) And I had to pause the show because I was laughing so hard. That scene was weird because you hear her stepping on the light constructs, but you don't see it. That was weird. I agree. They kind of echo that with the dad in the last episode. And I felt like the scene with her dad worked better because he happens to wear glasses and you see the reflection of the light in his glasses. So that I felt worked, but I would have liked to cut away to her jumping on them or something. I love that you see both her parents look up at her using her powers with this awe and admiration and pride. It's so nice. But yeah, I agree. There was an odd either editing or directing thing there where it's like, would have been nice to just see a shot of her using her powers, see what she's looking at. You had it in the final episode as well. You do see this. You see her running away after come to assist her. It just made me think, wow, there's no way she's going to make a dramatic exit. It takes ages for her to leave because she's just running at normal (laughs) speed, but in the air. So everyone's watching. It's like, yeah, she's she's still there. I can still see her. (laughs) Just hopping away. (laughs) It's not like Spider-Man. He swings off and he's gone in like five seconds. She has to just run at normal speed. (laughs) Well, hopefully she takes up track or something and just improves her overall stamina (laughs) and gets better at running. I did like that touch where she stopped at the red light when she was running. Yeah, that's cute. All good stuff. Yeah, you see so much of her personality come out in how she is a superhero. That's something I really love about the show. 100%. So Nakia then, she was a really interesting character. And as you say, she didn't get as much play as she probably should have. But what we did see of her was really interesting. So it starts off with her losing some shoes, or that's one of the big intro moments, I yeah, suppose. she never gets her shoes back. 
They were Versace's. <laughs> this is the what twenty first time it's happened, or something like that. Stop bringing nice mm. shoes to the mosque, then, if you know this is a risk. <laughs> yeah, fool me once, shame on me. Shame on you, rather. Although she didn't say it was her twenty first pair of shoes, just the twenty first pair. But still, would you risk it? I wouldn't. But never mind. <laughs> I'd have stopped after the first time, to be honest. <laughs> it's used as a bit of a springboard for her wanting to improve things in the mosque for women. Mm. And that was something I had zero idea about. The idea about the men's side of it and then the women's side of it. They're two completely different mm-hmm. setup. The maintenance of either side is completely different. So I didn't have any concept of that. So that was an interesting one. And then the fact that she was running for council. And I loved the way they cycled through that. Here's your targets. And again, using the animated headlines and it was the Illuminantes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the Illuminantes. <laughs> Bruno, you handle the white guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that whole sequence with the different people who would be attending the Eid event because it just showed like, the variety, the diversity of the Muslim community there. It was literally going, hey, look, we're not a monolith. It was really cool. That's one thing that stood out to me because most depictions of Muslim culture is they are the Muslims rather than Mm. here's all the little segments within that culture, within that group of people. It's like with any group of people. People are different. People fall under different cliques and whatever. I thought that was a really interesting look in because normally when you see a mosque in something, it's just the character goes there, maybe Mm. see them walk in and that's it. But there you got to see the the inside of it and all that stuff. And then all the bits where you have the teenage girls texting during worship. It's Insta, as she says. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but Did stop you guys it. also notice that the little boy that Kamala saves at the end of episode two is wearing Nakia's shoes? He's the most. Oh, shoe really? <laughs> ah. I can't take credit for that one. The UK Miss Marvel updates Twitter account was the one who pointed it out. <laughs> but yeah, he's wearing Nakia's shoes. <laughs> There's an easy save she could have done that she didn't. Oh well. <laughs> But yeah, Nakia is a character who's very, very beloved from the comics and for a lot of good reason. Obviously, they changed some things about her. And again, yes, you make changes when you adapt something from one medium to another. I don't want to hold anything against the actress because I think she does a fantastic job. And this is not her fault. This is a casting thing. But I do know that some people were disappointed that the actress who plays her was Christian and not Muslim and not hijabi. mm -hmm. I'm not Muslim personally, so I don't feel like I really have the right to speak on that too much but I know that that's something that some people have said and I do agree that it would have been really nice for a hijabi actress to be given that opportunity because let's face it there aren't a lot of them yeah for actresses who wear hijab in the comics Nakia I believe is not mixed race and they made her mixed race in the show I believe to maybe line up with the actress's own heritage because I think she's half Lebanese half white I'm mixed race, so I really liked the scene where she talks about being mixed race and being treated as too ethnic for some people and too white for others and stuff like that. That kind of hit home for me quite a lot, even though my makeup isn't half Pakistani, half white. But yeah, I felt that a lot. It's a change to the character that some people maybe didn't like. I personally was fine with her being mixed race in this depiction, and I still felt like the essence of Nakia was there and that she's someone who sort of fights for people's freedom and is an activist and socially conscious and politically conscious and stuff. But it was, as I mentioned earlier, a bit of a shame that a lot of that was turned inward to the Muslim community instead of outward to wider social change and racism that the Muslim community experiences. Although, on the other hand, I think it's interesting to show those 
divisions and issues within the Muslim community. Again, it comes down to there wasn't a lot of time and focus for Nakia, and it would have been nice for her to have more time and focus so that maybe there could have been a bit more of that. And I know that they're probably going to use the whole running for the mosque board, improving things for women in the mosque thing to springboard Nakia into being that wider socially conscious person maybe in season two, which is again, fine. But it is kind of a shame that the idea of the sexism within Islam, that's a thing that's emphasized a lot in media and that's not to say that it doesn't happen, but it is a stereotype to a certain extent. It's a trope to a certain extent. So I have a bit of push and pull with Nakia's depiction, but I think the actress does a really, really good job with what she's been given. I don't remember her from the comics well enough to notice the differences because I haven't read them in quite some time. So none of that really stood out to me when I was watching it. So I just kind of took her at face value. And then what she did within the show, I found really interesting. That bathroom scene in third episode, I want to say. Second or third episode. Do you mean the one where she's talking to Kamala at the school? Yes. Where she thinks she's on her period? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where she declares, I just own everything that makes people uncomfortable about me. I just throw it in their face and that's the way I am. And it's really important for Kamala to hear that because... It's about her embracing her own identity later on as well. Mm -hmm. So she's got to learn to be comfortable in her own skin in the way that Nakia seems to be. Yeah, I like that. Whether she actually is as comfortable as she seems, she probably isn't, but she's faking it until you make it, I suppose, isn't she? She's trying to be as confident as she wants to be. And then, yeah, the whole thinking Kamala's on her period thing, I always applaud whenever shows just lean into that. It reminded me of Turning Red, where there was a similar scene. Yeah. They wouldn't have been aware of each other when making this, I guess, the two projects, because they came out Mm. this year. But it's interesting that they both do it in a similar way. Yeah, it's always nice. It's just this very casual, real depiction of if you're a girl at school or if you're someone who uses the girls' bathroom at school, you will frequently see people just being like, oh, I'm on my period. Does anyone have a pad or a tampon or whatever? I wish that media was better at depicting it as that more just casual, normal thing instead of it being this. People's reaction to turning red was so extreme. It was ridiculous. People being like, how dare you sexualize these tweens? Sexualize? Why is a period sexual? (laughs) Oh, God. So, yeah, it was nice to see that become a bit of a media trend, (laughs) hopefully. Well, it's just acknowledging that biology is a thing, right? That's all it is. And it happens. It just is. There's nothing dirty or taboo about it the fact that it is still taboo and dirty in a lot of cultures first of all it makes me very sad but it's also just oppressive so to continue that and make it so that even mentioning it is sexualizing in some way it's the whole nipple thing right female bodies just can't exist i mean i'm male and it didn't make my head explode so (laughs) well done (laughs) (laughs) yeah i should pat myself on the back for not having a problem with it Congratulations for hitting the bare minimum, yes. <laughs> That's it. I'll congratulate myself for not having a problem with it. <laughs> that shows how progressive I am. The amount of other things that you see normalised in media, and that's not one of them, it's just crazy. I mean, I know it wasn't so long ago that Alfred Hitchcock was getting called out for using a toilet in a scene in Psycho. You can't have a toilet yeah. in a film. You can't acknowledge that this thing happens. Yeah, God, one of the rules about you weren't allowed to show someone being pregnant on TV yeah, or something. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's wild, the amount of, oh God, we can't show that humans have bodily functions, especially feminine ones, is wild. <laughs> yeah, so that scene stood out to me as kind of declaration of who Nakia is and what their friendship's like. And then there was that later scene where Nakia goes into her bedroom after being appointed to the mosque board or council or whatever it was called 
and they have that really natural conversation where they're having three conversations at once. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was Avengers Con. By the way, I got elected to this. And I'm trying to follow it. I'm getting a bit of whiplash from trying to do this. But again, it's that teenage pace, I suppose, which I think explains how they make up so quickly. Hell, I even <laughs> still do that. <laughs> but I thought they made up too quickly. On the one hand, I remember what it was like when you were a teenager and you'd have an argument with your friend and then something else would happen and you'd be like, that's just way more important or just the argument wasn't that big of a deal. We just make up right away. In a sense, I believe it. But from a storytelling audience perspective, I wish I had more to see of this and how it affects Nakia and how it affects Kamala and stuff like that. But yeah, the scene where Nakia just comes into Kamala's room and flops down on the bed face first and rips off her hijab, I was just like, oh God, mood. All of that stuff, like you said, it just felt like actual, natural teenage interactions that you don't get to see in media a lot. Yeah, because a lot of teenagers, they're played by 25-year-olds and they talk like philosophical adults, whereas... Yeah. Yes, they do talk like teenagers. <laughs> and they look like teenagers. Yeah, and some of them even are teenagers. <laughs> What's Amanda Villani? Is she, what, 17 now? She was 17 when they filmed it, I believe. Right, okay. So now she's 18, 19. And Kamala's meant to be 16. So yeah, that's fantastic to have a teenage character actually played by someone close to their age. Unlike a show like Glee, where you look at the <laughs> choir room and you're like, okay, you're 35. <laughs> and the teacher is 35. <laughs> How are the students the same age as the teacher? I guess we just have to hope that Aman Vellani ages like Tom Holland has, where she's yeah. 30 and still looks 18. Which is none at all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Stays looking like a baby forever. Yeah. <laughs> Aman Vellani reminded me a lot of my sister, actually, in a lot of her mannerisms and stuff. You know how she calls Nakia like, squishy and things like that. Oh, man. Just. That was cute. Adorable. I have so much love for her. She's so cute. I think my favorite moment of physicality from her was that dorky imagined dance in the second episode. <laughs> When she realised that Cameron had a crush on her or she thought that Cameron had a crush on her. Yeah, that was so cute. And when she opens the fridge and her mum's like, how was the party? And she goes, magical. (laughs) (laughs) And runs off upstairs. Aw, you're a girl with a crush. (laughs) And the little grin on her face when Nakia calls her but doesn't know it's her, the budget Captain Marvel. And she's like, Mm. yeah, that's what I am. I'm the budget Captain Marvel. I'm okay with that label. (laughs) said it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we understand speaking of crushes there's a few potential romantic connections for kamala that emerge quite organically throughout the story what side are we all on <laughs> i ship her with bruno i think mostly but then red dagger boy who can say no <laughs> Also, side note to the side note, the actor's name is Aramis Knight, and I just think that's the coolest name in the history of ever. (laughs) His parents just went, what should we name our kid? I don't know, Aramis? (laughs) (laughs) And your surname is Knight? I have thoughts and feelings. That is such a D&D character name, honestly. <laughs> just, let's name our kid after one of the three musketeers, but also we have a really cool surname. <laughs> I wasn't prepared. I noticed it in the credits and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was not ready. But yeah, what are you guys' thoughts? I don't know. See, the thing is, I remember Cameron from the comics where he has a much more minor role and is also much bigger of an asshole. So I'm like, I don't want to pair her up with Cameron. (laughs) But I actually like Cameron's depiction in the show. I like the complexity that they give him for the most part. Hmm. I liked when they were talking about their favourite Bollywood actors and they mentioned Kingo. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was yeah, cute. That was great. <laughs> I also like the idea of her being with Kareem, just because I like the idea of, oh, Miss Marvel and Red Dagger teamed up for life. It's very <laughs> cute. <laughs> I think with Bruno, I got more of a friend vibe, as in there is feelings there, as often happens between teenagers who grow up together and are so close. But I feel like he drew a bit of a boundary between them at the end of this season as well, when he was like, yeah, I'm going away for a while, but I'll be back and I'll be your friend. I'll be here for you. It's almost like he's ruling that out. Or maybe that was me reading too much into it. Maybe. I know in the comics, his crush goes on for quite a long time before they finally attempt to go out. I'm in the process of rereading a bunch of them because I don't actually remember everything that happens. And I just finished the volume where he confesses his love to her and then it's a cliffhanger ending and then I don't have the next volume yet because I accidentally bought the fourth one before the third one. (laughs) So I'm like, I can't read it. Oh no. (laughs) They do go out eventually. But yeah, I always got that vibe too of just people or them expecting it to happen because they were so close and they're a boy and a girl rather than them actually being on that level. That's the vibe I've always gotten from it. Although I did think that Nakia and Zoe were a bit flirty in the last episode. Yeah, which was nice to see. Thank you, yes. (laughs) Again, that relationship in the comics, it has so long to develop, but I'm happy to see them at least hinting towards it in the show. And and I know Disney is weird about showing gay stuff, so I would hope that maybe it could come to fruition in a season two. That would be nice. Yeah, maybe on TV or streaming shows, it's less taboo because... You don't have to cut stuff for the Chinese market or whatever, as they do. You'd hope maybe they could just put it in in general. I don't know. They did it in Eternals. It's the one time they've ever allowed it. And I don't know if they cut it in other markets or whatever. They refused to in Doctor Strange. I know that much. They refused to cut the six seconds or whatever it was. God, it's pathetic, isn't it? They didn't even make America actually queer like she is in the comics. They were just like, yeah, America's mums. And it's still too much. Like, it's pathetic, really, isn't it? She is wearing a lot of pride swag in the film. Her jacket has amor es amor on the side. So love is love. And then she also wears a pride uh, pin, a pride flag. Okay. I watched it on quite a small TV oh, when okay. I watched it. So I didn't yeah. maybe notice that stuff, but that's cool. So she is wearing gay things. Now, whether or not we're going to go there at some point remains to be seen, but I'm hopeful. Yeah, well, you never know. Ties into the whole wish fulfillment thing with Kamala. You have superpowers and you also have three handsome boys that all want to be around (laughs) you now. For a while, it felt like she was collecting a boy in every episode. And I was like, oh, Kamala, you're going to have so many boyfriends by the end of this. (laughs) You'll get yourself a reputation. You don't want that. You don't want people gossiping. You'll never find yourself a husband like this, Kamala. (laughs) The gossiping was another thing I really liked. When she was trying to get information about her great-grandmother, all she was getting was spun out rumours and conjecture. I mean, we did actually see Aisha kill a man. So technically, it was accurate. Yeah. Of course. Everyone she asked had a different story, so she couldn't mm. get the facts. So that was another thing. And then when you had that during the Ms. Marvel reveal at the end, the like in the Avengers, here's the social media reaction type thing. We have a superhero. She's going to struggle to find a husband that comes up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the last episode then, protecting Cameron is the thing they need to do because his powers are on the fritz and then he can control them and then he can't control them. Depends on the scene. But a bunch of teenagers giving damage control agents a run around. Did you buy that? Oh, I loved it. I loved them home aloneing damage control. It was fantastic. <laughs> I bought it because they didn't win. They just kept them at bay for a little while. Yeah, exactly. It worked. If they'd flatly defeated them, I'd be like, these are useless. It's a group of teenagers <laughs> with high school resources. And what did they make in the science lab? What the hell was that? <laughs> 
I thought it was really fun, again, because it fed into the kind of jovialness of the Miss Marvel comics. There is one of the comics where it's in the storyline where the teens are being kidnapped and she helps them and she gets a bunch of the teens to come and help her defeat the villain. It kind of echoed back to that for me. So I felt it worked. And it also, within the world of a more kind of comedic comic book kid-oriented piece of media. It felt like that kind of Home Alone vibe of, yeah, the kids can one-up the adults for a certain amount of time. Because, yeah, these are government agents. So, yeah, it's believable to me that they held them at bay, but that they didn't win and that she had to use her powers to actually win in the end. And in the end, the reason she won was because Diva went against her orders and the guy called her back. Yeah, but she also doesn't defeat Cameron, but talks him down because of who she is rather than what she Mm. can do as well, which I thought was a really nice touch. We have to make do with what we've got rather than whatever else because he seemed to feel the entitlement to the power and she didn't. And that was a big Mm. difference. Yeah, I loved that. Like I said, the sixth episode was one of the episodes that worked the absolute best for me and I felt like it was a great finale, especially considering some of the missteps. I felt like they managed to come back around on a lot of it in that final episode. It really felt like quintessential Miss Marvel. Her friends come to help her. Amir showing up and him being like, mum sent me to help you. And her like, superheroes don't need chaperones. <laughs> Zoe getting the whole community to come and help. And I felt like the scenes where you see her parents and other members of the community outside behind the fences felt so evocative, especially considering some of the images we've seen from recent school shootings in America. I know they can't have known that when they filmed it necessarily, but it's also just sadly a semi-common occurrence there. And it felt like maybe they were trying to evoke that deliberately, but it felt very potent given the Valde shooting and the whole cops not helping and the parents trying to get them to help. It's very emotionally difficult, obviously, but I felt like it evoked that and it worked in a way. It was a little bit on the nose having the cops supporting the crowd, but whatever, have your hero moment, do it. Yeah, that was the part that, like I said earlier, I'm like, okay, it's Marvel and it's Disney and... I don't expect Disney to go all behind anti-cop, anti-military message because they need the military to give them tanks for their other films. (laughs) But I like the idea of damage control as the villain. I could have done without the whole, there's a good cop who's nice and a bad cop who's mean. I did at least notice on my second watch through that the cops who protect them at the end are the local police rather than the government agency guys, although local police are a problem too, but at least they're a different group. But yeah, I could have done without that. Definitely the whole line of police officers thing and the male um, damage control person definitely seems to care more about the public image of it rather than what she was actually doing maybe that's to deliberately undercut it a little bit i don't know yeah i took that as they didn't want to commit to the full good cop bad cop thing they wanted to have something in there and it's that you need to get out of there because they're going to attribute this to us and we need to funnily enough do damage control over damage control (laughs) it was good to see cleary again as well after his memorable appearance in no way home he was the one that interrogated ned yeah god i didn't even clock that (laughs) oh that's that's why he looked familiar to me i was like i've seen this guy in something well he did the same thing to zoe he did the whole i understand you and Mm -hmm. i can get you to talk because i understand you and she just opened up completely so she fell for it in the same way ned did (laughs) that was a nice touch and i was hoping he'd been out more for that reason although i suppose i don't want to see him do it too many times because then it'll get stale Mm. if that's the only trick he has 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was the, I'm your boss, get out, because you have ruined us. We're going to have a tough time spinning this one. Yeah, you've ruined our reputation. I feel like we really see Kamala's morals in that episode, because you see her protecting Kamran, but when he tries to attack one of the damage control agents, she protects the damage control agent, and makes sure that the damage control agents in the car that she destroys are okay, and then obviously protects the crowd when Cameron accidentally throws a tank at them. (laughs) And you just see the goodness, the good isn't a thing you are, it's a thing you do, come out in full force. It made me so emotional because I was just like, this is the Kamala I wanted to see. I love it. (laughs) And what did you think of her costume then as a cosplayer? What did you think of the design (laughs) of that whole thing? We had that discussion about the whole, they just got back from the airport. When did she make this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the idea of her mum making her costume and her kind of accruing the costume from different people she knows and cares about, like Bruno with the mask and Kareem with the scarf. And then her mum makes the main costume and her dad gives her the name. And the jacket as well. I forget the name of the item of clothing, but the green jacket thing she gets. Oh, yeah. From the Red Dagger guy from Wally. Yeah, there's history woven in every thread of this or whatever it is he says about it. Yeah. It's nice. I feel like the show puts a lot of emphasis on the importance of clothing as cultural artifact, which I really love. Mm. I generally like the way they've adapted her costume. To me, that design is so precise and simple and amazing in the way that it intertwines her cultural heritage with iconic imagery of superheroes. Obviously, there's the Captain Marvel influence, but there's also a lot of Superman in that costume, I feel. The yellow logo on blue and red. But from her culture instead of American and with the red cape and everything. Marvel costumes, they do tend to over-design them, but in a really boring way a little bit, which is a weird thing to say, but you know how they all have that very same lines on them and stuff like that, and they are getting a bit stale. I thought Shang-Chi's costume was really boring. It was really boring. Although the sneaker stuff was really cool. Yeah, the sneakers are cute. I do overall like the costume. There's an element of busyness to it, but I do like it. It's still basically doing the same things as the original costume and i know that they obviously wanted to do a bit of there's some elements of captain marvel's costume in there with like the shoulder pads and the knee pads and some of the lines on the costume and stuff and i felt like they actually managed to restrain themselves and tone down the amount of random lines that were on the costume which is quite impressive and the fabric having the printed islamic patterns on it is really nice as well and obviously i like the mask because i made it Yeah, that video is really cool. I think they did a pretty good job of translating it to screen in a way that gives it interesting, readable information, but it's maybe slightly busy, but it's not too overly busy. Maniba did a great job considering she made it on the plane or something. Yeah, (laughs) right next to Kamala, who didn't notice somehow. (laughs) Quick turnaround on a costume. It's the fact that it comes in a really simple box as well. Yeah. (laughs) I forget what the box is. It was like a toffee box. Yeah, something, something like which that. Was cute. Those are the toffees that the grandma has at the house, aren't they? I just realized that. That's cute. So yeah, good stuff. Do you think you'll make it? I'm in a weird place now where because I'm starting this MA in September, I'm not working on any cosplay because I'm moving and I won't be able to do it. But maybe in the future? I know that they're changing her costume in the Marvels. And from what I've seen, I don't like the other costume as much. So I really hope this is a costume that sticks around. Maybe that other one is just there for like half an hour or something. The other one might just be when she's in space. She only wears it for that. Yeah, maybe. I hope so, because I like this one a lot more. I like the costume. Based on just someone that just looks at costumes and says either I like these or I don't. I thought it looked good and I thought she looked good in it as well, which is 
half yeah. the battle. Sometimes you see people wearing a costume, you know, I don't know about you in this, but really suited her, I think. Yeah. And you know that Iman Vellani would have been so overjoyed oh, yeah. to get that costume and wear it. Yeah, there must be footage of her seeing it for the first time. Surely someone filmed that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be so cute to see. And then attached to that is Carol has a different, more simple costume now, which I found interesting. It's essentially just a t-shirt and gloves, isn't it? Yeah, I liked the three-quarter sleeves and the gloves, and she looks like she's wearing some kind of bangle that could be the Nega band thing that people are talking about. And I also liked the way they braided her hair. I thought that was really pretty. Oh, I thought that was beautiful, yeah. As much as gay haircut Carol Danvers spoke to me. <laughs> I really like Brie Larson in long hair, so I was happy to see her long hair come back, and the braids were beautiful, so yeah. I love the expression on her face when she realized she was in the shrine to herself. Oh! So, oh god, what is this? I wonder if she thinks she's in some weird teenage oh boys god. room. Yeah. That was a nice little touch. Other action sequences, we've touched on the finale one, which was great. The Home Alone, don't know what they cooked up in the science lab. It seems like you shouldn't have those kinds of things in school. You shouldn't have that capability. Yes. But Bruno's here, so, Bruno's here, so he can do it. Yeah, he can do anything. Connect three things and they'll blow up in a different way. Let some other ones. The sequence that we've already mentioned where she rescues the young kid and it's very haphazard, very tense because she might fall at any moment, that kind of stuff. Mm. You had the wedding one. I think that was probably my favourite one outside of the finale one. I liked how that was built and it was the first showing of her inflated fist as well. It was really good. And then <laughs> even just the wedding itself I thought was brilliantly staged. Oh, the wedding was great. They did cheat a little bit where they had Bruno be like, explain this tradition to me. Sure, no problem. And then he gets explained to him. But he's there. That's fine. You can probably get away with that once or twice. Mm -hmm. And then they had the presenting to the bride and groom, the dancing and stuff. And Kamala gets hoisted and almost falls. It was a nice little touch. (laughs) That song is a song that I have listened to almost every day since that episode (laughs) came out. I have a Miss Marvel playlist. Brown Jovi as well. Brown Jovi genius. Also, I love that you see Taisha's little brother wearing the mini Hulk costume (laughs) in the dance sequence. It's very cute. I liked the awkward slowness of the scene where she rescues the little boy at the mosque. I was not as big of a fan of the fight in the wedding episode. Yeah, neither am I. Firstly, I think episode three for me is just the weakest one overall, other than the wedding itself, which I think is fantastic. Because that's where they do the whole gin clandestines <laughs> thing so hardcore. And I was just like, oh God, no. So I liked aspects of that fight scene. I'm fine with Kamala being clumsy and slow and stuff like that, because it's her first fight. Yeah. But I felt like the fight scene went on for way too long for her to be that clumsy and to just continuously beat the clandestines. Because as we were saying about damage control, them home aloneing damage control, but only holding them off and not winning is fine. It sells it. But Kamala continuously being this clumsy, useless fighter, but continuously beating these like, century old warriors. Yeah. It made them look really incompetent. Maybe that director isn't super acclimatized to action scenes. They felt a bit slow and messily plotted in terms of where everyone was and what they were doing. And when she runs away, when damage control comes, how did damage control not see her? Stuff like that. But I loved when Bruno gets thrown across the room and she uses the embiggen fist for the first time to protect Bruno. Felt really good. That part I really loved. I just could have done without all the stuff in the kitchen, I think. <laughs> It was just a bit too much. It was too long to sell her actually winning that fight, I felt. I love the aftermath. Did you see Kamala pull the fire alarm? No, she wouldn't have done that. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. The gossip train begins again. The marketplace one, I feel about that one is 
you do about the wedding one. I feel like that went on for too long. There was too many bits to it and I had no real sense of mm. geography as to where anybody was at any given point. I think that one dragged a bit for me. Personally, I felt that one was better than the wedding one, but I also still felt it suffered from some of those same things. It being a bit slow and a bit clumsy, not just on Kamala's part. Waleed's death, you could see it coming a million miles off, but I liked the idea of him choosing to throw the knife to save Kamala and Kareem instead of himself. I thought that was cool. But the entire time I was just sitting there like, Kamala, use your powers, please. Someone do something. You could help him. There was no real fallout from it either. It's, I guess he's dead now. Okay, mm. let's move on. Yeah, it's a shame because he was cool. <laughs> I liked her fight with Kareem in the train station. I thought it was really good. That little flirty fight that they yeah, had. Yeah, that was nice. And she was wearing her mask, but also very identifying clothes. Her Jersey City Comic Con. How do you know I'm from Jersey City? It's on your t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> her picking up the dagger and trying to throw it. Oh, that was good. And just utterly failing, which was hilarious on its own. But then when you see episode five and you see Aisha expertly throw a dagger and kill a British soldier and you're just like, oh, it's even funnier now. <laughs> I guess that doesn't pass down genetically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she just needs to hone it, I suppose. She needs to hone her knife throwing skills. Yeah. Kat, what action sequences, if any, did you like or maybe dislike or have notes for? Notes. Generally, as I mentioned at the beginning, I thought a lot of the strength of the show lies in not the action sequences. So while I didn't mind that they're there, I enjoyed the first time that her powers appeared. I enjoyed actually quite a lot of the Karachi stuff. Like Isa, I didn't really like the wedding action sequence. And the Home Alone stuff was probably the most fun out of everything. And I enjoyed seeing all the kids pulling their strengths to make something happen and help her. That was cool. But generally speaking, action-wise, every time an action scene came in, I was like, okay. And it was a little boring to me. I was so here for her connecting with her mother and her grandmother and learning stuff about her culture and learning to accept herself and not necessarily want to fit in with whatever crowd. All of that, that was stronger to me. And I relished it whenever the story gave itself time to just breathe that in. And then suddenly we had the chase scene through the streets of Karachi. It was fine. And the car stuff and taking the, the took took and then being on the motorbike I think that was fun her and Kareem trying to outrun the clandestines and all of that that was fun but ultimately especially the hand-to-hand -hand action stuff I couldn't care less I'm afraid I was kind of not here for that I suppose in retrospect looking at the whole show I would have liked this season to just be a little slower and just let her discover her powers and yeah sure have a couple of fight scenes because you're probably gonna have to but to not necessarily shoehorn that in my biggest complaint probably was that oh i suppose we have to have some military style baddies why are we bringing that back i thought the mcu kind of graduated from that kind of thinking after endgame and then suddenly with this new phase we're bringing bad cops back, shield, or whatever, sword, whatever they're called now, in WandaVision. I was just underwhelmed by it all, and I, I think whenever that turns up, it lessens the rest of it a little bit. Meh, was my response. Fair play. I'm always a fan of an action sequence. It's a superhero thing. I expect that it happen. Some are better than yeah. others. Well, 
that's it. I felt like the strongest action sequence was definitely all the stuff in episode six, both the Home Alone stuff and then the fight outside with Damage Control and Cameron. There was actually some genuinely interesting cinematography in that fight scene, like viewing under the tank as Cameron kicks his crystalline construct out from under it and mm. seeing Kamala reflected in a surface as she hops around the city and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe it's budgetary constraints, but I think it actually leads to some interesting cinematography that isn't just the usual fare. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I think we've more or less covered everything. Does anyone have any final notes that they wanted to make sure that were mentioned before we wrap up? I'm not sure right now. You're putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I would just sum up my feelings about the show. Go for it. Final thoughts. I would just sum it up as I have criticisms of this show i have mixed feelings about it i think the strongest aspects of the show are definitely kamala her family her friends her community her culture and whenever the show is focused on that is when it shines the brightest and the weaker aspects of the show are definitely the clandestines the weird gin storyline and convoluted origins and the whole throwing her into too big of a world ending stakes type thing too soon yeah and whenever we bring it back down to the local level it's much, much stronger. But even despite those criticisms I have, I feel like I still really love the show. And obviously I have a more personal connection to it maybe than some, but the show just makes me feel so happy in general. Even when I have to look at the gin stuff happening, there's still stuff that I feel like outweighs that in terms of it being a very important show. It's the first Pakistani Muslim lead character on a large scale that I think I've ever seen especially for a superhero thing. There's so much value in that. But I don't think the show is only good because of that as well. Yeah, well, that's what this podcast is for, so that we can dig into these things and get into the nuance, get away from the binaries of the internet where it's the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. I think there's shades within everything, and that's why we have these conversations, so that we can get into that and you can express these things about the show. It's definitely a win for representation, this show, but it doesn't mean that it gets everything right, is what I'm getting from what you've been saying Mm -hmm. tonight, which is... Perfectly valid. Yeah, and it's worth criticising things we love just as much as or even more than things we don't enjoy. And especially when it's something to do with the first time something has had a big, wide-level cultural representation. I don't want anyone to think that me critiquing the Jin storyline or whatever means that I think the show is offensive or that I wish it hadn't happened or anything like that, because that is not true. I think that we have this misconception that when a group gets its first bit of representation, there's this misconception that we have to love it and adore it and praise it no matter what, because otherwise we're not going to get anything else. And that is a really unfortunate side effect of there is sometimes that mentality in the entertainment industry. But if we don't critique the first thing that comes along, then the next thing won't be better. Yeah, And also just you're allowed to critique something, even if it's culturally important to you, even if it's the first depiction you've seen of something that's like you, even if you love it, there's nuance to these things. So thank you for letting me ramble about that for a really long time on this podcast. Been my pleasure. It's been fascinating hearing your perspective on it. You've brought things to my mind that I would never have begun to comprehend just watching it because I don't have that connection. And the show wasn't made for me in that respect because of the fact that I don't have that connection. But at the same time, it was made for me in the sense that I can watch it and be educated mm-hmm. and get a sense of something different. I've always been aware that I can relate to people on very different levels. The cultural gap didn't stop me from relating to Kamala at all didn't stop me from relating to the other characters because there are things that are universal such as like I said earlier you're 17 and have to decide your entire future right now because it's the only chance you've got apparently stuff like that yeah strained parental Mm. relationships strained community relationships strained friendships we've all seen that we can all relate yeah 
exactly. Kat, what are your final thoughts on this? Final thoughts? I really enjoyed this show. I think it has tremendous character. It's beautiful. It's funny. The fact that it's multicultural just makes it so much stronger. And it's not my life experience either, but I really, really enjoyed getting into that side of the world within the MCU and seeing what does a Pakistani superhero world look like. It was so much fun to get to know Kamala. I never read the comics at all. She's adorable and awesome. And for me as a fan, to see a character who starts off a fan be a part of the magical world that she loves just really warmed my heart. I couldn't stress enough, especially as a kid, how much I wanted to be a part of the worlds that I admired. It's what got me into writing fanfic and eventually writing original stuff and cosplay and all of these things that are just about expressing love for something. And to see that depicted in something mainstream is really cool and really heartwarming. And I'm looking forward to exploring a little more about the world building and I would like it to be less vague and we've had our fair share of criticisms on it I would say for me it's a four star out of five kind of experience I enjoyed watching this a fair bit I really look forward to seeing her interact with Carol Danvers it's gonna be amazing (laughs) (laughs) she'll probably faint first but (laughs) the rest of it's gonna be great I don't think that I was that excited for the next Captain Marvel movie but now I am. And that counts for a lot. Cool. Okay. My final thoughts basically echo what you both said. I don't think this was perfect, but I really enjoyed it. Loved the characters, loved the street level stuff. I'm more into street level heroes than I am big cosmic heroes, as much as I have a place for that as well. But I'm more into the little street level problems. That's why I like Spider-Man so much and will always continue to like Spider-Man. And that's why I like Ms. Marvel. And that's why I like Hawkeye. And that's why I like Daredevil and so on. Give me people that are trying to deal with normal-ish problems. And then taking that a step further by having an innocuous hero from a nowhere background really become a superhero after being a fan of superheroes. And then mentions of things like Scott Lang does podcast guest appearances, apparently. That was a nice touch. (laughs) Of course he does. (laughs) <laughs> watch my video series and seeing whether Thor is a gamer which is a great <laughs> well he shouts at gamers it's probably Korg she's probably misinterpreted it because of someone spoke to Thor isn't shouting at gamers like 50% of being a gamer <laughs> apparently yeah that's the part I forgot to mention was the whole how does she know about the battle and end game and apparently mm. in the New Jersey comic-con there is a book sold by a former shield agent who was near the battle who saw it from a distance who wrote it all down and published it as a book oh i assumed it was from scott lang's podcast that might be it too but but that book is a thing you have to look it up and you have to find out but it's a former shield agent that was somehow nearby and saw this carnage unfold but yes scott lang's podcast would be another explanation for it as well how is carol danvers well known don't know don't worry about it (laughs) (laughs) she's had adventures that we've not seen But yeah, love the show. Really want a season two. They really need to put Kamala Khan front and centre in this universe, especially when you're always going to be fighting for Peter Parker to be around with Sony. So let's just forget about that. We own this outright. Let's just do this. She is that similar type of hero to Spider-Man in terms of what purpose she serves. Yeah, well, that was the comparison when she first came around. She's 15, she's at school, she's relatable. Yeah, she's the New Jersey counterpart to his Brooklyn counterpart. Yeah, so that's all good. Great show. Can't wait to see the character again. Hopefully if you get season two, it's another enjoyable installment of the MCU. It's a franchise that I'm just mm-hmm. never going to stop loving. 
So that was it. That was our discussion of Ms. Marvel. And we're going to say season one because we're going to be optimistic, aren't we? It's Ms. Marvel season one. <laughs> so let's call it that. <laughs> manifesting a season two. Manifesting. Manifesting. <laughs> I'd like to thank YouTuber Emmy2. I think that's how you pronounce the name. I've never heard it said out loud. For the supplied music. Very much appreciated. Kat, thank you as always for joining and lending your thoughts. No worries. Essa, thanks very much for joining for hopefully the first of several podcasts you may appear on on nerdy things in the future just putting you on the spot because you're being yeah recorded. hopefully <laughs> i have to say yes oh no yeah no i would love to come back for other things as well and thank you so much for inviting me on to talk about this marvel no yeah, your great. perspective has been invaluable it's been great getting your insights on it if you enjoyed what you heard here please do hit that subscribe button on places like spotify apple podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts and most of these places have in-app ratings and they normally number as stars the trail of stars so essa since it's your first time <laughs> How many trails of stars should the audience give us on these places where they can rate us? <laughs> as many as physically possible. Five is usually the number. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was out five or out ten. <laughs> it was Natalie said, out of any number in the world, when I asked her. <laughs> and a comment wouldn't go amiss as well. If you want to discuss Ms. Marvel, the MCU or anything really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog or comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs> <laughs>